on behalf of the entire leadership team here at Freshworks, welcome to Freshworks Investor Day 2023. We're so excited to have you here in person and those of you joining us online, and especially um, our India team out in Aegis, thank you so much for staying up late to join us. Uh, we have a full schedule this morning, so um, before we get to that, let me cover a few housekeeping items. The first one is our favorite slide here, which is the disclaimer slide. So we will be making some forward-looking statements today, so they do come with some risks. Please see the risks in our disclosures. This presentation is available on our IR website now, so you can take a look at that, and please refer to the risks in our most recent uh, SEC filings. Um, secondly, the agenda. So we're going to get started with uh, our CEO, founder, Girish Mathabutham, who's going to start us off with the product vision and strategy. He'll be followed by Dennis Woodside, our president, who's going to go through some of our solutions in action, along with our uh, team members here. He'll also cover our growth strategy. So please pay attention to you know what we're thinking about going forward. After that, we'll take a quick break. We'll have a customer panel and spotlight with some of our key customers, led by our chief revenue officer, Patty Rathnam, and our chief product officer, Prakash Ramamurthy. Uh, we'll close our prepared remarks with Tyler Sloat, our CFO, who will provide a financial overview, and then we'll have uh, open Q&A at the very end. So one thing on the Q&A, please save your questions. We're gonna, in the interest of time, we're going to cover it all at the very end, and we'll try to make sure that we can cover all the questions. Um, for those of us who are joining us online, uh, you can submit questions a couple different ways. You can either put it into the chat box. There should be a question a little box that you can add in there, or you can send us an email to ir at freshworks.com. We'll be c combining those or collating those throughout the day. All right, um, so without further ado, let me introduce to the stage our CEO, Girish. Thank you, June. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our first ever investor day. It's been two years, almost we are coming up on two years since the IPO, and a lot has changed uh, in the last two years. So I'm super excited and happy to be here to share with you the vision and company strategy for Freshworks for how we see it is going to play out in the next few years. Now, for the benefit of uh, people who are new to Freshworks, I thought I'd start with uh, this snapshot slide, which actually helps you quickly get to understand where we are as a company today. Uh, Freshworks was founded in 2010 in Chennai, India. Uh, we were always founded as a U.S. company. So we are north of half a billion dollars in revenue, uh, most recently growing at over 20%. Uh, we, have a, we are a multi-product company. We have two products at scale, one at uh, 300 million ARR and one, the uh, other one at 250. So we have over 5,000 employees. 85% of our employees are in, in India. So, which I believe is a huge strategic advantage for Freshworks. So we have over 65,000 customers in total. 19,000 of those customers pay us over uh, $5,000, which is a key operating metric for us. So we went public in September 21 as uh, India's first SaaS company to go public in the NASDAQ center. Uh, we are here today, but uh, it's in, in New York. And I'm happy to report that uh, since that time, uh, we have managed to improve the operating efficiency of the company to deliver 10% uh, free cash flow margins uh, this year. 
So that is the story of uh, Freshworks uh, in numbers. But uh, let me uh, walk you through why do we exist? Like, uh, uh, why should you care about Freshworks? So we started Freshworks on a mission to deliver modern and innovative customer and employee experience solutions. Now, today I have to add AI guided in order to make sure everybody understands that's what modern should look like today. <clears throat> and we also say when you think about modern and uh, innovative employee and customer experience solution, you would think every company should need that, right? Not just the Fortune 500. That's why we say we're built for the Fortune 5 million. And what differentiates us is uh, we build the software to delight the users that actually use them. It's not built for just the CXOs. It's built for the frontline users to increase their productivity. So that's our mission. And I'm going to talk about, uh, you're going to see a lot of product and demos, but uh, I would like to first say over the years, Freshworks has benefited through these three trends or tailwinds uh, that we all know, actually. So the first one is digital transformation of every business, large and small. The second one is continuously changing expectations from customers and employees when they are interacting with business. The third one is uh, the need for higher quality data. And more recently, we are seeing what Gen AI can do with that data. So we'll, let me uh, dive deeper into each one of these. So if you look at uh, digital transformation of every business, now this is not new. This has been a trend that's been playing out uh, over the past several years. And we all know that hey, large enterprises are adopting more and more SaaS and cloud solutions uh, because they want to be agile. They want to uh, enable their remote workforces, et cetera. But, and, and this has been going on. But it's not about large enterprises alone. So first of all, Freshworks has been a beneficiary as a cloud-native company. So we have several mid-market and large enterprise customers using our platform. You'll hear more about that from Dennis. But every small company, a small business also needs to digitally transform themselves, especially uh, we saw COVID actually accelerating all of that digital adoption or transformation of small business. And at Freshworks, we have been almost leading that charge for front office and back office solutions that small businesses are adopting. Second, over the years, expectations from customers and employees when they, what they want from businesses has continued to evolve. And, and think about it. I'll give you an example. See, 20 years ago, if, if you are contacting a business as a customer, you're probably calling their call center, right, and, and trying to get support. Now, when we started Freshdesk in 2010, the, the whole idea was about, hey, we are starting an email help desk with, with social media. That was the fresh idea behind Freshdesk, the first product. So email and social media was how customers were contacting. Today, customers want to have conversations with the business. They want to be on, uh, let's say, Apple Business Chat or WhatsApp or uh, Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger. So, and, but they still expect the business to help them with their problem. They want personalized support. They want quick answers. And, and the businesses need modern solutions that can work on these channels where they can have the context of who the customer is, why are they contacting us, and, and how can I quickly solve their problem. Now, the same is true for employees. Like today, employees are remote, they're hybrid. Uh, 
you cannot expect employees to walk into IT department or walk into HR department to get stuff. So you're going to see some cool demos of, of uh, all of that today. But uh, employees want conversational support with the businesses. And, and thirdly, and this is also something that has been playing out over the years, but uh, the need for high-quality data. So we all know that businesses adopted technology as and when they found a uh, need for it. But the problem that they're struggling with is all of the data is siloed in different technology systems. Like even in the customer world, you have sales systems, marketing systems, support systems, you have surveys, you have uh, payment systems, you have order management systems. Data is captured in different silos. And businesses have always been trying to use integration to kind of bring the data together. And then we saw the rise of customer data platforms, where large enterprises actually bought customer data platforms to try and integrate, stitch together all this data. And we all know why. Because your AI is only as good as your data. Like, if you have partial data, you can only do partial AI. So if you need to deliver greater insights for business, you need a complete data of your customer or complete data of your employees or, or whatever data you're operating on. And at Freshworks, our architecture of a unified customer data model and the customer 360 uh, architecture is designed to help us benefit from this unified data model. So we offer this customer data platform inbuilt without customers having to buy that. So, so we are poised to truly benefit from AI in terms of having a more complete picture of the data for our customers. And you will see demos of that today. So, but before we go and show you all the products and AI, I just want to take you back and, and tell you how it all started and um, walk you through the evolution of our multi-product journey. So as I told you, uh, we started in 2010. Our first product, Freshdesk, was launched in 2011 as an email and social media help desk. In the early years, we actually found that one of, out of every four or five customers was using Freshdesk as an internal custom, uh, employee support tool. So I, I'm an ITIL service manager myself, so we knew how to build an internal IT support tool or IT service management tool. So instead of just using the same product with a marketing page on it, we actually decided to custom build a product for IT service management, and that's how our second product, Fresh Service, was launched. Today, that's our fastest growing product uh, with uh, north of $250 million in ARR. So we also closely watched what's happening in our customers uh, in terms of technology, other technology that they were using, or how technology was evolving. So over time, uh, we also launched uh, Fresh Chat as a modern messaging platform, Fresh Caller as cloud telephony. Uh, in 2016, we actually uh, unveiled our customer 360 strategy long before anybody else in the industry. We launched Fresh Sales in 2017, and uh, sorry, 2016, and Fresh Marketer in 2017. Our Freddy AI, so today there's a lot of buzz and excitement about AI. So we have been talking about AI since 2018. So we launched our Freddy AI in 2018. Uh, Neo Platform also was launched in mid, uh, around that time. And in August, this year, which is last month, we actually launched our most modern omni-channel customer service suite, which is conversational. So, so you will see uh, uh, some of these products in action today. So this is our journey toward being a multi-product company. Uh, 
But cut to today, how do we organize ourselves to our customers? So we have our IT and employee service suite, Fresh Service, which is offered as Fresh Service for IT and Fresh Service for business teams. Uh, we also have our flagship customer service uh, product line. This is the business that's at 300 million ARR. So customers buy it as Freshdesk or Fresh Chat or the new Freshworks customer service suite. And the younger product, sorry, the relatively younger product line is sales and marketing, where we have fresh sales and fresh marketers. Now, all of these products are powered by our Neo platform. So Neo actually offers a set of shared services for all of our products, which enables rapid product velocity. So if you think about uh, things like support for different communication channels, like chat or email or social media, our products uh, engineers don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can consume these services from Neo. So that's one of the benefits for our own product developers. Uh, also, Neo powers a set of services that help our customers get a unified customer experience. When they're using more than one Freshworks product, hey, how do you get services like single sign-on, unified billing, or analytics that works across products? All of that is also powered by Neo. And third, Neo also supports our marketplace, where we have more than 1,000 public apps, uh, which enables rapid integration with third-party systems. Customers can also build custom apps on Neo for rapid extensibility. So uh, the reason I'm calling out Neo is this is our uh, secret weapon, which actually helps us win a lot more business and powers our rapid time to value. So one of the key differentiators that we have compared to larger enterprise vendors is how can we take a customer to uh, go live quickly and, and Neo is uh, the secret weapon that allows us to do that. Now, Neo also powers our Freddy, uh, parts of our Freddy AI and so I'll, I'll, I think it's probably uh, like Freddy AI today has uh, its own uh, slide. So let's, uh, with, with all the interest in Gen AI. So let me talk about uh, how we organize ourselves. As I told you, Freddy AI has been in market for us since 2018. But with all this new excitement of Gen AI, we actually did, uh, we unveiled our new Gen AI strategy with Freddy. So today we offer our Freddy AI as three pillars, like, or think of it as three core capabilities. The first one is around Freddy self-service. So Freddy self-service is powering employee and customer self-service without the need for human agents. So as an example, if, if you're contacting a business, Freddy can actually help answer FAQs, or Freddy can also help answer personalized questions by looking up your order, and you're going to see some really cool demos, uh, live demos, not uh, videos, uh, that uh, will be on stage uh, demonstrated today. So Freddy Copilot, think of Freddy Copilot as how do we augment human capability with AI? So everything that we can do to help human agents be more productive, whether it's answering questions that they have or allowing them to conversationally execute tasks on the product. So the way you interact with software can now be a conversation, like set up a meeting uh, with John next Tuesday at 9 a.m. So you could just uh, uh, issue a command to the product and it should be able to do it. So you will see uh, Copilot in action today. So, and, and also we have announced pricing for Freddy Self-Service uh, and Freddy Copilot. Uh, Freddy Self-Service will be monetized uh, on a 
user session basis, and uh, Freddy Copilot will be monetized at a $29 per agent per month uh, price. What I'm even more excited about is Freddy Insights, which is where we take the power of Gen AI to understand unstructured data and combine it with all the analytics that we have to deliver real-time insights to leaders and decision makers. A good example of that would be, imagine how it would be if you're a customer service leader where Freddie AI is telling you, hey, your customer satisfaction for the last quarter was at 80%. Now, that's something the structured data can tell you. But if Freddie AI can tell you that, hey, if you fix these two problems, you can take it up to 86%. And that's where it's, un it's analyzing all the responses from the unhappy customers, automatically figuring out what are two or three things that will move the needle and giving it to you as a real-time insight, cutting the need for like really uh, having the time uh, spent by data analysts to crunch all the data, go and manually look at those uh, unstructured uh, responses from customers, and then figuring out uh, what should be the actionable insight. So <clears throat> Freddy Insight is also currently uh, in beta with customers. We have not yet uh, finalized the pricing for that. So we are working with customers and adding more value to the product that we will announce uh, in the coming months. Now that's uh, in general about AI, and today you will also see, as I told you, most of our AI, uh, the demos that you see today will be focusing on our AI features. So powering all of this innovation, whether it's our multi-product journey, whether it's Neo or our Freddy AI, I think the key advantage that we have is access to world-class talent in India. So as I told you, 85% of our employee base is in India. We have three offices in India across Chennai, Bangalore, Hyderabad. Chennai is the largest R&D center. So Freshworks was born in India. From day one, we had global aspirations. And India powers our product velocity and scale. And having started in India, we were global from day one. And that has helped us actually get all these global customers. So if you see some of our customers uh, here today. So... Look at TaylorMade uh, golf uh, uh, vendor in the U.S. or uh, Stitch Fix. If you look at uh, Klarna in Europe, uh, PhonePay in India in FinTech or uh, MultiChoice or African Bank in Africa. We have a truly global footprint. I would also like to take this uh, opportunity to uh, welcome some of our customers uh, uh, here who are in the room. So we have uh, Sony Music. We have uh, Monos and Databricks uh, in the room to share their stories uh, to you. Uh, so I'd like to say thank you to all our customers who are here and uh, welcome to our Investor Day. While I'm happy about our customers, I'm even more proud about our culture. So what truly sets Freshworks apart as a company is the culture that we have built. And the easiest way to understand our culture is through this acronym called CHAT. The C in chat refers to craftsmanship, uh, where we want each employee to practice craftsmanship every day to go above and beyond and deliver a wow. Uh, the H is for happy work environment with the double quotes on work, where the work that you do actually makes you happy. It's not about uh, foosball tables or free food. It's about truly finding happiness at work. Uh, a is for agility with accountability, which allows us to be nimble as a startup even as we scale and grow. And T is for being a true friend to the customer, which is our promise to, customer, to our customers. Hey, look at Freshworks as your friend, not as a partner or a vendor. We will do the right thing by you. 
So these values uh, are the bedrock of our culture. They have served us well over the years as we continue to scale and grow. And it's also helped us uh, attract a world-class team. So if you look at our management team today, like we have a solid team with a lot of experience in scaling uh, and growing public companies. So we have made uh, a, a few changes uh, this year. We, I'm excited to uh, welcome uh, Johanna Jackman, uh, who's in the room today, as uh, joining us uh, most recently as our chief people officer, uh, coming from our table. Uh, we also have uh, Shafiq Amrazi, uh, after spending uh, more than a decade at AWS, uh, is joining us as SVP of strategy. We have Morley, uh, who's joining us as SVP of customer experience. You all know Dennis, uh, who joined us last year, and Paddy, who was promoted uh, to CRO earlier this year. So you'll be hearing from uh, some of our leaders uh, after me, and then we will be available for Q&A, and we'll be available here to chat with you. Now, before I close, if there's only one slide that you're going to pay attention to today, I want you to pay attention to this slide. So I want to tell you that at Freshworks, we have a clear path to creating a multi-billion dollar revenue scale company. And, and how are we going to do that? So first of all, we are operating in three really large TAMs. So even you have seen successful companies being built with only one of these uh, TAMs that we operate in. So we have product market fit in three massive TAMs. We can continue to grow Freshworks uh, over the years. So we are starting to see momentum in larger customers and going up market, and that's working, and you will see uh, uh, Dennis and Tyler share more details on that. So our customers are adopting multiple products, and, and we think that's going to be a very durable opportunity for us. Uh, if you remember at the time of IPO, that number was at 18%. Now it's at 25%, and we still have a long way to go. AI and automation is a tailwind for Freshworks. We will make money when businesses are not hiring uh, human agents uh, with pretty self-service. We will make money when people are hiring human agents by helping them be more productive with Copilot. And we will make money when, by, by actually uh, delivering insights to leaders with ready insights. Last but not the least, um, our access to a high-quality workforce, not just in R&D, but also several of our go-to-market functions are serviced out of India, so we believe that India provides us a long-term strategic opportunity for us. So with that, uh, I would like to uh, invite our President Dennis to come and share with you some of our uh, product solutions and, and also take you through the go-to-market mission. Thank you. Thank you, awesome. All right, everybody, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to be here for our first ever Investor Day. I'm excited to see some of you for the first time in person and not over Zoom. So for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to share where we compete, what products we offer, and importantly, we're going to show you the products in action through live demos. Uh, I'm going to be joined up on stage in a minute uh, by Mikesh Merchandani and Paya Patel, both of our solutions engineering team. All right, so let's go. So we compete in three large, growing, and overlapping markets, IT and employee service, customer service, and sales and marketing. The addressable market for these three areas is huge, about $78 billion per Gartner last year and growing fast. So I'm going to go through each of the three in order, and for each section, we'll take a break, we'll show a demo, and then we'll come back and hit the next section. 
Okay, regardless of the product, we win and expand our business with our customers really for the same reasons. Uh, first of all, we offer a unified experience in a world where our customers are looking to consolidate fractured tech stacks and consolidate down to platforms. Second, our products are easy to use. Very importantly, they're easy to train on. You'll, you'll hear from Monos today uh, from a manager of agents, and the ease of training is really important when you're managing a service operation. Products are easy to maintain as well, and that leads to much faster time to value for our customers than our competition, and overall, a lower total cost. The other thing is we've proven that we can innovate rapidly and bring products to market. The demos that you see, most of the features are available to customers in our beta program today. Not all, but most. And really, we got started on those over the last, uh, let's say, couple of quarters. And then lastly, we've proven our ability to scale to enterprise level. So we have customers that are handling millions of interactions through our software every month and managing thousands of agents with our software. Okay, first product is IT and employee uh, service. All right, so Fresh Service provides a foundation for managing your IT department and extends to other departments. Our product consists of a couple of elements. One is service management, which delivers engaging experiences for employees. The second is operations management, which provides reliable services company-wide. Asset management to help manage uh, all of the IT estate and assets, project management tools, and finally business teams, which we released last year, to support teams outside of IT. Okay, this is our fastest growing business with a lot of future growth. So the TAM just for IT alone is $20 billion, growing 12% per year. Our ARR as of the end of Q2 was $260 million. Now keep in mind, this is a business that we started less than 10 years ago. This business is growing in the low 40% year over year, so up in the low 40s annually. Our customer is the CIO or a senior IT leader, uh, and we have a lot of traction in mid-market and in enterprise with this business. We have 8,500 customers today that spend more than $5,000 with us, and that base is growing quite rapidly. So if we look forward, we see many opportunities to expand our IT footprint. This market's huge, and the IT department, the IT leaders are looking to us to solve more problems. We have a track record of innovation. Just in the last year, we launched ITOM. Uh, we also launched business teams. But if we look forward, there's a number of adjacencies. Managed service providers is one. We already serve hundreds of managed service providers, but our product is not specialized necessarily for their needs, so we're working on that. Industry-specific solutions, such as government. We look a little bit more forward, security operations, governance, risk and compliance, all of these are areas where we have a right to play, given the platform that we've built and the customer base that we've built. Every one of these individual areas themselves could be a massive opportunity for us. Okay, so today, customers and analysts recognize the value of our IT portfolio and product. You know, we get a lot of positive feedbacks from users who appreciate the scalability of our product, the reliability, the ease of use, the ease of deployment. We consistently win for those reasons. We're top rated by users surveyed by TrustRadius. We're covered in three distinct markets by Gartner uh, and Forrester and two by IDC. So an example of a customer uh, for Fresh Service is A&E Networks. 
So A&E is a global content company. They have 400,000 viewers worldwide. They have 3,000 employees. They have 300 employees in IT, okay? So global, uh, complex company. They previously were a ServiceNow customer. They switched to fresh service for its ease of use, ease of maintenance, scalability, and overall lower total cost of ownership. So today, our virtual agents at A&E are helping with ticketing, so automating a bunch of tickets that previously needed uh, human intervention. That's resulted in increased response accuracy, faster time to responses, overall higher satisfaction with the IT interaction among employees. And that allows the human agents in the IT department to work on higher value work and harder uh, to answer questions and queries. Okay, another good example from the higher ed space is Georgetown University. So Georgetown has 20,000 students, 6,000 employees, and 2,000 faculties. They have to support the IT needs of all of those people as well. So they were using a homegrown system that was just not scaling. They went through a competitive evaluation process. We were part of that process. And they chose fresh service to support faculty and students' needs, not just for IT, but for their IT needs, questions around HR, and, and any kind of uh, health services uh, needs. So after a successful deployment, they later purchased Fresh Chat and Fresh Caller for 450 business users. And you'll see this as a theme in a lot of the cases that we're sharing. Teams start, companies start with one of our products, and even though the buyer is, is not the same from IT going into customer service or vice versa, or sales and marketer, we get the reference, and when another opportunity comes up, we have the right to play, and often we win. So that's Georgetown. All right, with that, let me ask Mikesh and Pyle to come up for the first demo. Thank you, Dennis. Good morning, everybody. Yes, a round of applause is good. Um, good morning. It's good to speak with you all. Uh, like G and uh, Dennis said, we're doing all live demos today. So you'll be very impressed with what we have to show you. But before we get into the demo, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're hearing from our customers. Our customers are telling us that their employee expectations are much higher than ever before. They want a modern, intuitive experience. Employees want cool tools at work. So that's one theme. The second theme is deep insights for business leaders, because IT leaders have to deliver business outcomes. And so what our customers are telling us, give us these insights so that our IT leaders can make good decisions. So these are the, sort of the two big themes that we'll cover in the demo today. Uh, for our demo, we are using a fictitious company called No Baggage. No Baggage makes high-end luxury bags, luggage, handbags, suitcases, and they believe in sleek products and even better customer experiences. So we're going to start with an employee. Like I said, employee expectations are high. They want cool, modern tech at work. So let's see how we bring this to life with Freddie's self-service. File, ready for the demo? Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and start that demo. I'm going to show you how we provide a unified, modern employee experience that really integrates with Freshie's self-service into all of the productivity tools that they use day in and day out, like MS Teams and Slack. Lauren is an employee at No Baggage, and she needs to request an employment verification letter for a home loan that she's applying for. Lauren goes to the No Baggage Slack bot and asks the virtual agent if she can get an employment verification letter. The virtual agent is going to go ahead and ask a few questions. It's first going to ask, what is the purpose of that verification letter? 
for a home loan. Next, it's going to go ahead and prompt and ask questions about which bank is that home loan for. And finally, what's going to happen within a few minutes, it's going to verify all of the information so that I can ensure that I have all the details set for that employment verification letter. I'm going to let the bot know that this is all good. And next, within minutes, our native integration with Workday performs a lookup and generates the employment verification letter. What's happening is behind the scenes, this is going into that HR system, understanding all of the information that was requested, pulling up those details, and then sharing that here right within the agent experience or the bot experience to share that with Lauren. And you know, Freddie's thinking a little bit, so we'll give him a couple more minutes to come up with uh, with that data. While Freddie's thinking, um, we also integrate into lots of different HR systems in court in in our world. We're natively integrated with Workday, but we connect to many others as well. All right, Lauren's got that letter now, so she can quickly download that letter. She can review that employment verification letter as well, and it's looking great. <laughs> All right. Now, Lauren's filled with joy. Typically, that would have actually taken a lot of time for HR to probably process, get all the information. She got that within minutes and is excited that she can get her home loan. That virtual agent was able to address all of those various issues and help her. Well, a few hours pass, and unfortunately, Lauren has another problem. She needs help again because she's experiencing connectivity problems with her VPN. She reaches out to the IT team again to see where she can get help. She lets the virtual agent know that she's having VPN connectivity issues and if it can help her. Now, the virtual agent is going to try to help her troubleshoot that issue and gives her a series of steps on how to do that. Unfortunately, she's not familiar with how to disable the power saving mode, so she asks for some guidance on that. When she asks for that guidance, Freddie is going to go ahead and pull up all of the information to guide her through that. She goes ahead, configures those settings on her laptop, and look at that. All of a sudden, everything is working, and she lets Freddie know thanks for the help. The Slack virtual agent was able to solve all of Lauren's issues today without having to get an IT agent involved. Now those IT agents can really focus on much more of those complex issues in their organization. Mukesh, what do you think about some of these Friday self-service? Well, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was, this is the kind of employee experience I think every employee deserves today. And I think there was a lot that happened. So I'm gonna to try to recap for you the most important pieces. Number one, you saw the whole interaction was managed through Slack. You saw a virtual agent that lived within Slack. This is the power of the Freshworks platform. We're able to seamlessly integrate into tools like Slack, Microsoft Teams, and our customers love this because our customers have already made investment in those collaboration tools, right? So we're not forcing them to go somewhere else to collaborate and get that virtual agent. So that's one thing. Second, you witnessed a multi-turn natural language-powered conversation. You saw there was a VPN issue, the bot understood, surfaced up a couple of suggestions, right? This is how we're gonna solve uh, things faster, problems faster, without needing tickets and forms. 
I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say that ticket, tickets and forms are very passe, and this is the new way of doing things. The last thing, this was really cool. You saw a live integration with Workday. I remember the first time I applied for an employment verification letter. It took a couple of days for me to get that. But this was a live lookup that basically extracted information from Workday, stuck it into the right template, and delivered it to the employee within a matter of seconds. Right? So this is what a modern uh, employee experience looks like. So that's about the employee. We're going to move on to the second little bit of our demo, which is what does life look like for a leader? And I, I said to you, leaders need deep, actionable insights. They have, to, they have to fix IT operations as problems happen. And so how do we use a combination of Freddy Insights and Freddy Copilot to solve the leader's problem? Pile, we ready with the demo? Let's go ahead and shift to the demo. So we're going to shift our attention to IT supervisor Jack. Jack managed the L1 help desk at No Baggage. What I'm about to show you is Freddy Insights. It's our AI that surfaces up powerful data visualizations and metrics simply by asking questions. IT supervisors like Jack have a lot going on, and it takes a considerable time sifting through various reports and analytics to really understand all of those various employee issues. Here, Freddy Insights is able to surface up those insights directly to him in a matter of seconds. So as Jack lands in his inbox, he notices a bunch of trending employee issues that have been identified. He goes ahead and clicks it to understand more. Now, while he's reviewing this data, he notices that printer issues are by far at the highest number, and he wants to dig into more about what's going on there. Show me details about that printer issues. Now, Freddie's going to go ahead and share incidents that have been happening within the organization. And honestly, there's been a huge uptick, almost 85% of issues, which is, normal, which is not normal in the usual trends. Today, he's got a savior, though. Freddie is going to help him create a solution article. Not only create it, but he's suggesting it. That's the next best action for him. So he's going to go ahead and ask Freddie, help me generate a solution article for the above scenario. He can preview that article. And what's happening here is Freddie is gathering information, whether it's from responses from incidents or knowledge base or any other contextual information that it can understand on how to solve this issue, and then is actually creating all of the various content that can be shared um, to employees in the future. So while Freddie's thinking, takes him a little bit of time to gather all that information, and finally, we have the knowledge base article. And finally, he can go ahead and save and publish, and he's good to go. Jack successfully stayed ahead of employee issues, ensuring smooth operations of his help desk. Mukesh, why don't you share with everyone what actually happened behind the scenes? Well, first of all, that's a mic drop, so I think we deserve a quick round of applause for that demo. <laughs> that was pretty cool, right? Um, but look, we've, we, we've said this for a while. IT leaders need insights, but these insights are sort of buried in static dashboards. So you have to go look for those insights, right? What you saw at the beginning of that demo was Freddy Insights brought all of that rich insights directly to the supervisor, right? You didn't have to go hunt for it. That was one. Then Freddy Copilot swung into action, and Freddy Copilot said, look, there's a, there's a problem here. 
There's 85% more bad things happening. And so you should create a knowledge article. This was a recommendation to solve a problem. And then Freddy Copilot, again, used the generative AI that we have embedded within Freddy to create that knowledge article. So think about it. IT organizations would probably need two, three, four hours to do all this research, write the knowledge article, right? And I'm being optimistic. I think it could take longer as well. We did that in a matter of seconds. So this is the power of uh, Freddy AI. This is what, when G and Dennis are talking about rapid time to value, this is the best example of rapid time to value. And this is why our customers love Fresh Service. With that, uh, I think we're at the end of our IT demos, Dennis, so back to you. Okay, thank you. Uh, now, we're gonna turn to our customer service solutions, which in many ways is where the Freshworks story started. First product for us was, was Freshdesk. Okay, customer service automates responses, improves agent productivity, and drives business outcomes for our customers. So we offer automated self-service using AI-enabled bots, very much like what you, you just saw, as well as a powerful answer center for customers of our customers. We offer conversational support through WhatsApp, Apple business messages, SMS, social media channels. This is how consumers and customers want to interact with the companies that they're doing business with. We offer advanced ticketing to resolve more complex issues that might require multi-departmental collaboration and voice support through fresh caller or through third-party solutions that customers can bring uh, on their own. So our customer service solutions is our largest business. Uh, we're growing at around the rate of the market, but we think there's a big opportunity to accelerate growth here, and we'll explain that throughout the day. The TAM for this business is about $27 billion. It's growing at about 15% a year. The market's fairly fragmented outside of the, the leader, uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for growth. Our ARR uh, approached 300 million in Q2, and we're growing this business uh, in the mid-teens. Uh, priority segments for us are SMB, mid-market, and the lower end of enterprise. We have 10,000 customers that spend more than $5,000 with us today. And our growth acceleration plan relies on us extending into new areas, expanding our, our product footprint to adjacencies, driving a more focused go-to-market around the product, and AI. So we see many opportunities to innovate and grow in adjacent spaces for CS. This August, we launched our all-in-one customer service suite. Now that brought together all of the functionality that we had previously in separate products into a unified solution, which is really what our customers were asking for. We've been in the market for four weeks with that product. We're seeing good traction and good early signs. If we look forward, we see growth opportunities in building industry-specific solutions, moving into adjacencies like workforce management tools, uh, agent performance and training tools, and field service management as well. All these are areas that our customers are looking to consolidate into a single platform, and we have a right to play. So as with IT, customers and analysts have recognized the value of our CS portfolio. You know, big customers include Panasonic, Bridgestone, uh, S&P Global. One company describes Fresh Desk as a lifesaver for its agents. G2 commends us for having the highest user adoption in the mid-market. Uh, Gartner and IDC have covered us in two distinct markets and Forrester in one. So an example of a customer service customer is Ingram Micro. 
So Ingram Micro is a sophisticated, global, $50 billion technology solution provider. They were using multiple systems around the world to support their customers, including Zendesk and others. So as a result, they had no uniform database or system or process for handling customer queries and supporting the 170,000 technology solution providers that work with Ingram. So after a competitive process as well, they turned to Freshworks to unify all of that on a global basis. And we've had a very successful deployment there. We see agent license count moving up every single year. In fact, in the four years since we deployed, uh, we have grown agent count by about 4x. Now, this is another example of a customer that started with one product and moved into another. They recently expanded into fresh service for some of their IT teams. Another example is Clopay. So Clopay is North America's largest garage door manufacturer, and they sell those doors through 3,000 independent dealers. So the dealers are the customer of Clopay. Their customer support team was challenged to support those dealers and the interactions in particular because you can imagine if you're in that business, often you're in the field, sometimes you're back at the office and so forth. So they evaluated us. We were competing against Oracle in that case, and they chose Fresh Desk, Fresh Chat, and Fresh Caller over Oracle. And that's resulted in a unified support uh, uh, system across multiple channels, uh, enhanced agent satisfaction, and enhanced customer satisfaction for them. This is another customer that's expanded with us over time. Since deployment, they've expanded their agent count by about a third. Okay, so that's customer service. With that, let me ask Pyle and Makesh to come up for the second demo. Thanks, guys. Dennis. All right, more live demos. Um, like we did for IT, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what our customers are telling us because our demo is based on those constructs. One, customers are telling us that their end customer expectations are higher than ever before. Their end customers want fast, accurate resolution. They want to use channels of their choice. So they don't want to be forced to call in. They want to use messaging sometimes, right? That's customer expectation. Second, uh, Customer service leaders are also telling us that their budgets are either flat or declining. And so making agents as productive as possible, as efficient as possible, is an absolute must for them. And then finally, much like IT leaders, customer service leaders also need deep insights because fixing customer service operations in real time is a key need for them. Okay? So we're going to stick with our no baggage theme. Remember, this is the company that makes beautiful bags, luggage. Yeah, that's that we're going to continue with that theme. And we're going to start with a customer, an end customer. Like I said, end customers want convenience. They want brands to know them. They want personalization. Let's see how we're going to bring this to life with Freddy Self Service. Kyle, over to you. Yeah, let's go to the demo. All right. So I'm going to show you how Freddy Self Service helps our customers with issues leveraging our bots and generative AI. Customer Victoria is an existing customer at No Baggage. She recently purchased a beautiful weekender bag earlier this year. Now, unfortunately, after using it a few times, the threads on the strap are coming loose, and she wants to know how she can get this fixed. She can't recall if she had a warranty in place or not, so she's going to come here, land on the support portal, and ask um, for some help. First, she's going to ask, what is the warranty policy? Now, without having to talk to an agent, She's going to get an answer, and looks like she's set. She's covered under a lifetime warranty. 
Now, immediately, what the bot is doing is, is identifying her intent and seamlessly surfaces up various orders that Victoria has had. Now, these orders can be coming from um, a third-party order management system, such as Shopify or WooCommerce. She can see all of the various items, whether it was the one that she recently purchased or past orders as well. She selects the Weekender because that's the one that she needs the warranty on. And next, the bot wants to understand what's happening with the item. Goes ahead and shares that the strap has some threads that are coming off. And the bot lets her know that, that that is covered by the warranty. Now, the bot already knows, based on data that we already have about Victoria, her address, and the bot wants to confirm that that's where she'd like the new item shipped to. Finally, after getting all of that information, the bot lets her know that she can receive it in seven days. But Victoria wants it sooner, so she asks if she can speak with an agent. Mukesh, what did you think about that experience with customer Victoria? If I was, yeah, that's a <laughs> round of applause for that. Because if I was a customer working with a brand, this is the kind of experience I would want. And you, you probably saw what you felt was a simple bot flow. So let's break this down, right? Number one, you saw the bot have a natural language-powered conversation with Victoria. Right? The bot was intelligent enough. The bot understood Victoria's intent. Right? Victoria was asking about the warranty policy, but the bot connected the dots to the most recent orders. Right? And that's the power of what we are able to do with Freddy self-service and the generative AI capabilities in Freddy self-service. Right? So that's one. Second, you saw some amazing examples of personalization. We didn't have to ask her to type up the address. We already knew that. The bot already knew the address, right? We also have uh, native plugins into Shopify and WooCommerce. So what you saw was a beautiful, rich carousal of all the orders that Victoria had made recently. That was pulled up from Shopify. So this is how we're delivering speedy uh, resolutions, and this is how we're delivering personalization. So that was a customer's experience, right? Let's move on to the second uh, key persona in customer service. These are the unsung heroes. Nobody calls these customer service agents to thank them, right? We're already, we're always upset at them, right? And so we need to make these agents as productive, as efficient as possible so that they can solve the customer problems. What we're going to do is we're going to show you a demo of Freddy Copilot and how Freddy Copilot can bring some AI capabilities into the agent experience. Pile, back to you for the demo. Yeah, let's go to the demo. All right, what I'm going to show you here is how we have Freddy Copilot assisting across the entire agent experience to make their lives easier to support customers faster than ever. This is Ethan's unified customer record. Um, he can see all of the various details about um, Victoria as well as other customers. He can also see the channels of engagement within this inbox, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, and so forth. Now at the top, he sees that inquiry from Victoria. He can click into that information and automatically he sees an auto-generated summary of all of the previous conversations that happened. In the past, he would have to scroll up, get up to date on everything that's happening, and here within seconds, he understands 
that Victoria has a, a, a bag that is, has straps falling off that he wants to go at, at and get replaced. Once he's up to speed, next he goes ahead and refuse, reviews all of customer Victoria's information. You can see her name, loyalty, address, and even the bag that she's wanting to get replaced. He can also pull up other information in terms of where to ship the new bag, location information, and so forth. Now that Ethan has gotten everything that he needed to learn about Victoria, he's ready to respond to her. He's gonna go ahead and let her know that we can go ahead and replace that bag and that we will get it expedited with the fulfillment team. Now, he's already set up a little bit of a text, but he wants to have a little bit more of a casual, friendly tone with Victoria. So he's gonna use enhanced tone and he's gonna change it to friendly and go ahead and send that off to Victoria. Finally, he needs to expedite this with that fulfillment team. He's gonna create a task. He's gonna, again, use auto summary to let the team know everything that's happened till now. Finally, he's gonna send this off to that fulfillment team to get created. Mukesh, tell me, what did you think about that agent experience? I think that was so awesome. I think we wouldn't mind a little round of applause for agent Ethan, <laughs> right? That was a pretty cool demo. Uh, look, I think G said in his slides, every business has to focus on digital transformation, right? And the agent experience is such a powerful part of that. And I want to break down because there's a lot of, lot of things that you saw in that demo. I want to break it down for you a little bit. First, you saw a conversational agent experience, right? It wasn't a bunch of tickets. What it was, it was a bunch of conversations. And all the channels were easily accessible to the agent Ethan, right? So that's, that's powerful. Second, you saw a lot of AI capability. So you saw the auto-summarization of the bot conversation. That's pretty cool because Agent Ethan now doesn't have to scroll and read the whole bot conversation, right? You also saw uh, tone enhancement, which is a very cool feature. All right, so AI is, AI is obviously there, but in order to personalize, you also need all of the customer information in one place. And we brought that very elegantly into Agent Ethan's experience as well. So, Give the agents conversational capabilities, give them AI capabilities, and then give them all the customer data to do their jobs well. Right? So that's the agent experience. Last persona in customer service is uh, our leaders. And these uh, customer service leaders have a really tough job because when things go wrong, they need to take quick action. Right? And so what we're going to see is a really cool demo of how Freddie Insights is going to help a customer service leader pull up the right insights. And then Freddie Copilot is going to do some pretty magical things. I, want to, I don't want to say anything else, but Pyle's going to show you a live demo of all the magic. All right, let's get to the demo. Okay, so if you remember earlier in that IT supervisor experience, we talked about Freddie Insights, our AI that can surface up those really cool data visualizations and metrics by simply asking questions. Well, we know the value of this, and we've embedded it across all of our products, including customer support. So customer service leaders, like Emily, used to spend a lot of time, just like that IT supervisor, going through those reports. Today, she's gonna come into her inbox and have Freddie help her throughout her day. She notices that there's three high-frequency customer contact scenarios that have been detected, and she's concerned. She goes ahead and clicks into it to learn more. Freddie pulls up some of the top customer contact scenarios and there's been an uptick with warranty and claims at 34%.
She knows that's concerning, so she wants to dive a little bit deeper to understand all of the various customer queries for those scenarios. Freddie pulls up all of the various interactions that have been occurring based on warranty claims and questions. Now, she knows this is a problem. She needs to deflect all of these issues. And what she's going to do is she's going to use Freddie Copilot to help her build a bot to deflect all of these various warranty-related issues. Now, if you haven't been paying attention, this is pretty cool because no longer will, and we're going to select the WhatsApp as well, no longer does Emily have to go spend a bunch of hours in an administrative tool to configure the bot. Instead, Freddie is going to go ahead and help build that bot for her, and then she's going to be able to re review that information as well as go ahead and deploy it. Now, Freddie's thinking a little bit because it does take some time for him to configure all of that administrative bot capabilities. So while Freddie's thinking, we'll give him another moment. Just, just a few seconds of thinking is going to save us some time, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> she can finally preview the bot, and what I'm showing you is under the covers, this is our bot builder, which has all of the various interactions that Freddie Copilot went ahead and built. And we can see all of the capabilities are ready for her to go ahead and publish. Mukesh, this is what leaders need. Tell us what happened behind the scenes. I just want to say, y'all, we just witnessed bots building more bots. That is wild. That is amazing. <laughs> and, and so this is, look, we've, we've talked about time to value quite a bit. And I want, to, I want to break this down because it all started with some deep insights. And Freddie Insights was able to pull out a lot of these rich insights and surface it in a, in a conversational way. A customer service leader would typically spend time in a static dashboard digging out the right information, right? So that's one. Second, real-time corrective action is a really hard thing to do in customer service. But Freddie was able to recommend that, hey, you've got this warranty problem that keeps coming up. You should perhaps build a bot as a recommendation and deflect some of these things. This is time savings. And then finally, what you witnessed was Freddie Copilot built the bot for us. And it was a pretty complicated bot. You saw that all the, all the workflows there. This would need either a bot designer or it would need programming and coding skills, right? But we were able to automate this without needing any programming skills. So this is why customer service leaders love this because we have this ability to deliver rapid time to value like none other. I think that's the end of our customer service demo. So Dennis, back to you. So when we say AI is a tailwind, I think those demos are great examples of the tailwind. If you are a customer support leader, you are going to need to automate and use bots and use AI the way you just saw. So it's really exciting for us. Okay, the next uh, product area, last one, that I'm going to uh, walk, walk through is sales and marketing. So sales and marketing is our newest product. It appeals today to primarily SMBs and mid-market customers. And this is one of those products where uh, we've, we've had an effort for a while. We're really putting the focus behind it now because we see the strategic value in sales and marketing to complement our customer service business. We're seeing customers ask us 
uh, to, to build capability in and cr to create a seamless experience across those two product areas. But we do have work to do on the product. We have work to do on the go-to-market. Tremendous promise for us going forward. Okay, so our sales and marketing products are easy to use, yet powerful uh, tools for automating sales and marketing workflows. So our solutions consist of Salesforce automation, which drives sales productivity and maximizes revenue for our customers, marketing automation to enable our customers to engage consumers and their customers across multiple channels, configure price and quote capabilities, which allow our customers to close sales quickly, accurately, efficiently, and then e-commerce integrations with Shopify and WooCommerce, similar to what you saw with customer service. And that also shows the power of the Neo platform because those integrations are built in Neo. Of course, our, our sales and marketing products complement our customer service solutions. The TAM here is about $32 billion and growing at about 15% a year. Our ARR crossed 25 million in Q2, and uh, that growth is not really where it needs to be. So we've worked to improve the product, we've worked to improve the go-to-market motion, but we think it's really important for us to get this right, and we see the opportunity with our customers. We're gonna be launching a bunch of refreshments to the product this fall, uh, which are intended to increase speed to value for our customers. The product right now is actually very powerful, uh, but we can do a better job of appealing to SMBs and getting them up to value faster. We strongly believe this could be our third $100 million plus ARR business in a matter of years, and that's what we're working to go do. Okay, so our sales and marketing product is focused on three pillars. One is applying AI to make sales and marketing employees more effective. We'll show a little bit of that in the demo. The second is creating more personalized experiences for our customers' customers, whether they're consumers or B2B. And the third is applying conversational technologies like what you saw in customer service to the sales and marketing interactions. Okay, now we, we have traction uh, with this business with, with, with many customers. An example uh, of a mid-market customer is Addison Lee. So Addison Lee is the UK's large, or UK's, uh, I think, largest based ride service, which is available in 350 cities worldwide. Uh, they were a happy, fresh service customer for years for their IT department, and they were evaluating a replacement for Salesforce as their sales and marketing tool. Uh, they found it was, it was uh, expensive and un unwieldy. So they went through a competitive process. They chose fresh sales initially for its intuitive UI and lower overall total cost. Later on, they added Fresh Marketer to, so to support their entire go-to-market teams. So today, 400, over 400 agents are working with Fresh Service products in Addison Lee. So a good example of, a, again, a land in one product area, expand into another as they saw value, and they, they saw the, that we satisfied what they were asking us to do in the IT department. That allowed us to get into sales and marketing over time. Okay, with that, let me ask Pyle and Mikesh to come up for the third demo. All right, more demos. Cool. So, uh, as we did before, I'm going to frame this for us a little bit because when our customers are coming to us for sales and marketing, they're actually bringing us some very complex problems. They are asking us to unify data across sales, marketing, customer service, order management, third-party data, which is an extremely complex problem to solve. They also want their marketers to be more efficient and more effective than ever before. So. That, those are the two big themes we're going to focus on for the demo. We're going to start with a marketer, though. We're going to show you how we are able to improve marketing outcomes, make your marketing campaigns perform much, much better using uh, Freddy AI capabilities. 
Bayan, ready for the demo? Yeah, let's get to okay. the demo. All right, what I'm going to show you here is Freddie Copilot, and this is actually going to really change the game for marketers. It's going to become like their personal assistant. It's going to not only make their lives easier, but it's going to allow them to continue to create those personalized, engaging emails to really attract more customers to their business. Mike needs to set up a, a cross-sale campaign for an upcoming Black Friday sale that's coming up. Now, this is one of their biggest, highest revenue-generating um, events, and he wants to ensure he creates the best email campaign to his prospects. So he's going to ask Freddie to go ahead and help him. Can you suggest an email campaign? Now, Freddie needs to understand what Mike's intent is for this campaign, and Freddie's going to ask a couple of questions so that we can define the goal of the campaign. He lets Freddie know he wants to boost repeat sales for that upcoming Black Friday sale. And now what Freddie is doing is he is automatically figuring out the right target audience for this campaign. Now, as Mike is reviewing these segments, he notices that one of the segments that Freddie selected is passive customers, and which are inactive customers. Instead of using that, he wants to have recent customers who have at least made one purchase. Freddie's going to go ahead and take that suggestion and replace passive customers with recent customers. He's going to ask Mike if we can validate that that's good to go. I'm going to say yes. Now Mike is going to, uh, now Freddie is going to help me review what the campaign could possibly look like. While Freddie is pulling that together, um, obviously creating a beautifully branded campaign as well. Um, it already starts to give me some details about that campaign, campaign, such as the subject as well as the pre-header. You know what? I like the subject, but I want something that's a little bit more punchy. So I'm going to ask Freddie to suggest some alternative subject lines that are really going to grab the attention of our customers. Um, reviewing Freddie gives me three different ones, and I really like number two, so I'm going to go ahead and let Freddie know that we're going to go with option two. Now, again, he's going to go behind the scenes, get that campaign ready for me. I can now preview all of the information, and Freddie has really done a lot of the work for me. He's even pulled together all of the visuals of what this campaign is going to look like as well as even some of the recommended items. Now, next, he can go ahead and save those items, but Freddie's not done helping him. Next, he wants to find the most optimal times to launch this campaign. So Freddie's going to find those optimal times for him. Now, what Freddie's doing is it's looking at past historical data and figuring out the best times to do this. He needs a little bit more information from me, so I'm going to let him know that I want to go ahead and ensure this happens in the last week of October, preferably on a Sunday. And finally, Freddie's going to proceed with creating personalized timings after the 29th all the way up until the 4th to move forward. I'm going to let Freddie know that's perfect. And finally, Freddie's going to go ahead and set that campaign go, um, to life. <laughs> All right. Marketers' lives have just gotten so much more simpler. Mukesh, what did you think about that? I think that was awesome. 
a round of applause for Freddie, mostly. Um, <laughs> Freddie, Freddie is about to become my new best friend, you can tell. But look, this, every, every marketer cares about three things. They care about who they're going to send their campaigns to, they care about what they're going to send, and they care about when they're going to send those campaigns, right? And we've just simplified all three things. So let's break it down a little bit, right? We started with Freddie Insights. Freddie Insights said, hey, here are some target segments of customers that are likely to buy. That is based on past campaign performance. Those are the kind of insights you need to create effective campaigns. Second, Freddie Copilot did a bunch of work for us, right? Freddie Copilot designed that beautiful campaign with the little images of the bags. That takes time. That is somebody in campaign design has to build those kind of templates, and Freddie was able to use that, create that with generative AI capabilities. You even saw Pyle tell Freddie, look, I don't like that subject line. Build me a punchier subject line. That was cool. That was generative AI. And then finally, when you send the campaign is super important. And Freddie said, hey, based on some past performance data, we think you should send it at such and such time. Right? So that's the power of Freddie Insights. That's the power of Freddie Copilot. And that's how we're going to improve marketing campaign performance. Okay. This part makes me a little sad because we are coming to the end of our demo. We'd like to keep showing you product all day long, but we have to end our demo. We're going to solve, we're going to end this demo where we started. We started with a customer, Victoria. Since this demo has started, Victoria spoke with a bot. She chatted with an agent. She got some campaign emails. She probably spent some money, bought some stuff, right? We're going to show you how we're going to bring all of that together in a single unified view that drives personalization. Pile ready for the demo? Yeah, let's go to the demo. All right, so as I said, or as Mukesh said as well, we're going to end our story with customer Victoria. We've seen now how no baggage was able to give frictionless customer experience throughout the entire pre-purchasing as well as the post-purchasing journey for our customers. Now, one of the ways we bridge the gap between sales and support at no baggage is through our unified customer record. Within the record, we can see all of Victoria's personal information, her preferences that were captured across her entire ongoing journey with us. Information like her birthday, what loyalty status is she, even items of interest or preferred colors. Below that, we see all of the various actions that have been taking place with Victoria along her journey with us. So I can rewind and see when she originally placed her order, when she's browsed our website, when she's added items to the cart, including when she reached out to support and even up until her coming back and reviewing more things or making more purchasing decisions. Now I can also see all of the various past order history information that she's had with no baggage and review that information as well. So this data is so important because it can be leveraged to continue to engage with customers throughout that entire customer life cycle and provide those personalized experiences. Mukesh, how valuable is this to our customers? Well, I think this is incredibly valuable. Um, and uh, look, I won't, we won't belabor the point. What you've seen is an incredible unification of sales marketing, customer service, order management, everything, every piece of data coming together in a single view, right? This is an incredibly hard problem to solve. And with Fresh Sales, we're able to solve this problem elegantly. Now, every customer interaction is going to enrich that customer record. And that enriched customer record will drive further personalization, 
right? This is why our customers love us, because we are able to deliver this sort of a unified platform without them having to spend millions of dollars, right? This is the power of the unified platform. So with that, we're uh, coming to an end to our demos. Uh, thank you so much. Freddie, Pyle, and I appreciate your attention. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. All right, so first of all, I think I want to thank Mukesh and Pyle. Every demo you saw was live. Every demo you saw is either available to our customers today or in the beta or coming soon into the beta. And so Mukesh and Pyle, I know how nerve-wracking it can be, but, but to do it all live, there's nothing taped, there's no PowerPoints there, so thank you. Okay, so I'm going to turn to uh, the next section which is really an overview of our strategy for driving durable growth. And this is what got me excited from the outside at joining Freshworks. We have amazing products. We address the needs of businesses, small and large, multiple departments within our customers. So I'm going to talk about how we're going about doing that and where we see growth over the next couple of years. Okay, so I'm going to cover five big drivers of growth for us. The first is our go-to-market approach, and the fact that we've designed a go-to-market strategy that efficiently can serve the Fortune 5 million, from the smallest customer to the biggest company in the world, or big, big companies like an Ingram Micro. The second is the, the SMB opportunity. We've talked a lot about large customers, but the small business opportunity for us is huge. We're already uh, well-known and loved by small businesses, and we're just getting started in many ways. The third is large customers. Large customers are increasingly turning to us. We made a concerted effort this year to bring our products into more, to larger and larger companies, and that's working. The third is this opportunity to expand our business with our existing customers. So a lot of our effort, really since the history of the company, has been around uh, landing new business and expanding our customer account. Now we're taking a more systematic effort to grow within our existing customers. And the third is AI and NEO that amplify the value proposition, allow us to innovate faster. I think you saw some of that in the demos and open up new markets and customers. We can share a lot of the functionality that you saw in those demos, for example, was shared across uh, product areas. Okay, so the first one, we have a very unique go-to-market motion that's designed to efficiently serve the Fortune 5 million, and that is unique about us. Our competitors tend to focus either on very large customers or they're specialists in true SMB, very small. Uh, and I'm going to share more insight about each of these. So we have three sales motions that drive our high-velocity business. One is inbound. So think of our inbound motion as a prospect coming to us through some digital means and then moving into a trial phase. 45% of our new ARR uh, starts with an online search or some digital means leading to a trial and ultimately to a purchase. Our field motion accounts for 30% of our new business ARR, and that's growing fast. And partners is a really promising area for us. 25% of our new business ARR is coming from partners. I'm going to go through each one of these. Okay. Our inside sales motion efficiently serves businesses of all kinds, and I think it's important. This is all about scale. We have thousands of trials every month. The majority of those trials are sourced from non-paid channels, so content that we publish, articles, and so forth, or our website alone. And what's important is that small and very large businesses sign up for trials. 
and this is a trend you see with other companies as well. You'll have a team within a much larger company wanting to test out some new solutions. They'll sign up for a trial. That will turn into a deployment or potentially an RFP for a much larger deployment. We win business like that all the time. It's a very high-velocity business. So 80% of our accounts uh, close within 30 days. And our cost of sales is quite low because we're serving the human interaction element of this out of India. The other thing about this business is it's consistently linear. So, of course, across the course of the quarter, uh, we tend to have a fairly predictable uh, business here. So that's inside. So the second motion, and what we've talked a lot about in, on our investor calls and, and uh, earnings calls, is the field motion. So we have a field presence today in seven of the top ten IT markets. Our revenue profile is relatively balanced, uh, much more so than lots of uh, uh, SaaS companies. So North America accounts for 44% of our revenue in Q2, EMEA 39%, and APAC and the rest of the world 17%. The average time to close deals in field is about about five months, and we're winning bigger and bigger deals. So in Q2, we saw a 50% increase in new deals over $100,000. And if we look forward into our pipeline for the second half of this year, that trend is continuing. Our third motion is through partners. Now, our partner ecosystem is evolving to support our strategy for moving up market. And we're, we're involving partners earlier, and we're getting involved by partners earlier in more and more big deals. In Q2, our partner source business grew 40% year over year. So this is a growth channel for us as well. And we're closing more and more large customers. So in the first half of this year, partners closed 11 large customers that were over $100,000. Okay, the other thing just to highlight is that we made a lot of changes this year for those who follow us closely to our go-to-market teams. We've changed uh, leadership. We've changed uh, the, the structure of the sales team. What I want you to know is that's driving real results now. So we separated new business, uh, new business generation, a rep focused on landing new deals from expansion, uh, someone who's focused, account manager, who's focused on expanding existing accounts. That's resulted in a record first half for new business generation for us. We've sharpened our focus and our skill on bigger deals. We've brought in more experienced reps, more experienced leaders who are accustomed to those larger deals. And we saw 89 deals in Q2 that were for more than $30,000. That was a record. And we've hired leaders across our go-to-market teams, whether that's uh, regional sales leaders, head of North America, you know, our head of uh, partners is here, who, and as well as supporting functions, who are helping us scale into the opportunity that's ahead of us. Okay, SMB. Uh, so in SMB, we think we've got a huge opportunity. So as, as you said at the outset, you know, millions of SMBs have to adopt AI and automation to compete. In many ways, AI and automation enables them to compete with much uh, larger players in their, in their markets. AI can simplify the employee experience, can help them reduce costs, it can help them improve their relationship with their uh, customers. And the TAM for SMBs is huge. So our overall TAM is $78 billion. Of that, $23 billion, we estimate about $23 billion of that TAM is in the small business segment. And as a reminder, we define small business as companies with 250 or fewer employers, please. Okay, so this Fortune 5 million, they have to leverage simple, uh, powerful solutions like ours. They have to get the fast time to value. Uh, and we're really uniquely positioned to provide AI and to provide these solutions to SMBs. So why is that? 
Well, we've, we already have a track record of solving the needs of SMBs, right? We have an SMB base of over 51,000 uh, companies as of Q2. We've shown that we can be highly efficient in growing that base over time. Uh, and we have a path forward to growing this business and putting the same kind of focus and attention that we've had over the last year in going up market to really rejuvenating our inbound business and driving more growth there. So how are we going to do that? So we launched a project that's called Product-Led Growth, or PLG 2.0. You'll hear more and more about this, to supercharge this SMB business. And if you think about the journey that a small business has with us, they typically start out as a prospect in the research phase. They're thinking about an IT solution. They're thinking about a sales and marketing solution. They come across content on the web. At some point, they might come to our website. Then they, get in, they, they sign up for a free trial. They decide at some time during that trial to convert to a paid user. And then at some point, they expand with us. So that whole process, uh, we are reevaluating and really applying the next level of science, applying AI, applying machine learning to driving value and driving a better experience for that prospect. So we've expanded the content sources for new leads. We're, we've optimized our, all of our web properties for SEO. We went through a major web over, website overhaul. If you look at the website today compared to February, it's, it's completely different. It allows us to uh, innovate much faster, experiment much faster. We're doing a lot more experimentation with things like personalized sign-up. Uh, we're re revising our tutorials. And the whole idea is that the SMB base is very broad. People come in with a advanced knowledge of what, let's say, sales and marketing automation is. People come in with no knowledge. And those flows need to be different. We need to treat those customers differently. We're also revamping the post-30-day onboarding because we know that's when customers, uh, you have an, an opportunity to influence churn levels, expansion, retention, all those things. So I think the takeaway is that you're going to hear a lot more over the course of the next year about PLG 2.0, and there's a lot more growth in this SMB business by optimizing this funnel, and, uh, and really we're excited about it. Okay, a couple of examples of SMBs that trust us to transform and compete in a digital-first world. And I think what's interesting is how different these companies are, but in some ways how common the problems are that they face. So Blue Raven is a solar company. Uh, they were using a homegrown support system, uh, and it was very hard for them to maintain. You know, they didn't really have the resources to be doing this kind of on their own. They m migrated to Freshdesk initially uh, for their customer interaction, and then they realized, hey, we can apply the same kind of uh, simple-to-use, easy-time-to-value easy product to our IT department and our internal needs. They expanded into Fresh Service. Uh, the employee retention credit specialists, they're tax service experts. They also replaced a homegrown uh, IT and CS system with uh, both, and they handle both customer support and IT support with Freshworks today. So you see a lot of SMBs coming from homegrown solutions, but you also see uh, SMBs coming from competitors. JW Pepper is an example of a, a customer that switched from Jira service management. They found Jira to be unwieldy. What, they didn't find it user-friendly, uh, and now they're using, again, a multi-product uh, customer, Fresh Desk and Fresh Service, for their customer and their employee needs. So just three of the 50,000 uh, customers, plus 1,000 customers that we have that are SMBs that are using us to run their business. Okay, we have talked quite a bit about the, this driver growth, which is large companies, but this, is gonna, this, this opportunity is going to last for a long time. And uh, this is what we've tuned a lot of the go-to-market around over the last year. So why have we been successful in these larger deployments? Well, we address pain points that large companies have in a way that nobody else does. One is we focus on accelerating time to value versus others that typically require a lot of customization. You'll hear about this in our customer panel. 
uh, months to implement and resources that companies just don't have anymore to put against implementation projects. Uh, we typically offer about half the total cost of ownership to co compared to our competition when you consider things like maintenance and deployment costs. Uh, we're easy to use and train, meaning you don't need specialized skills or knowledge to get us up and running. AI just accelerates that. You saw that with the bot builder and bots building bots. And our products are built on a unified solution. So unlike some of our competitors, we haven't stitched together multiple companies into a solution. Customers appreciate that uniformity of, of experience and consistency, and that's what they're looking for. So we continue to see large customers driving growth for us. We have over 13,000 mid-market and enterprise customers as of Q2. So those are 251 and up employees. Our $50,000 and up ARR customer cohort grew 33% last quarter, and that was an acceleration on the prior quarter. Uh, we, we, currently, that cohort uh, accounts for about 46% of our total ARR. And we landed 759 new mid-market and enterprise customers in Q2, also a testament to this focus on landing business uh, that Patty and the team have been driving. Now, I was a little surprised to, to, note, to, to see this, but 215 of the G2K, of the largest 2,000 companies in the world, are already customers of ours. And that includes American Express, Global Business Travel, Discover, Bridgestone, many others, right? So despite us not explicitly saying we are going after the biggest companies in the world, they're coming to us, we're winning their business. Okay, an example of a large customer that, uh, that shows us is Coherent. Coherent is a $5 billion leading, leader in manufacturing materials. And they compete in two different segments, uh, commercial and defense. And there are laws restricting access to information from one segment to the other, obviously, because of the defense side of things. So their prior solution could not enable them to comply with that information uh, restriction uh, requirement. And they ultimately chose fresh service for 500 agents because we could offer that kind of partition uh, to access, access and data while offering a uniform solution to support all of their employees. So today, 22,000 employees at Coherent are supported by Fresh Service. Okay, the fourth lever for us is the opportunity to expand our existing customers. And this is a pretty interesting graphic. This, this shows our top 20 customers by AR anonymized, by ARR, and by industry. And a couple of things you'll note here and hopefully you can see the graphic, uh, all of our top 20 customers are today customer service customers. And that, you know, that seems to make sense because customer support teams tend to have a large number of agents, and those agents, if you, if you add them up, the ARR from that deployment is going, can, be, can be quite high. In some cases, we're supporting thousands of customer support agents. That drives ARR. Also, this, our Fresh Desk product was our first product, so we've had more time to go into larger and larger accounts. We've grown more of these accounts over time. What's also important to, to note is that 10 of the 20 are IT and employee service customers too. So, you know, I, you hear a lot about, well, how hard it, it must be very hard to sell to a different buyer within a company. Uh, you know, you're not tapping into the same budget. And a lot of our competitors compete in one of these spaces, not multiple spaces. We've been able to successfully compete in multiple spaces and tends to be that kind of a reference sale where you have a happy customer support leader 
The IT department's thinking about another solution. They're under the same cost pressure, looking for fast time to value, ease of use, a lot of the same problems that the customer service team and leader face. And we get into the mix. We get an opportunity to, uh, to you know, make our case to the decision maker, and we win. Another uh, note here is that there's not a single industry. I know it's probably a little bit hard to read, but not a single industry that dominates our customer base. So we've been successful in uh, financial services, retail, entertainment, business services, many others. And then you do see two of our largest customers have also taken our sales and marketing offering. And I think this goes back, and you saw the demo, uh, that, that shows very integrated experience between customer service and sales and marketing. This goes back to why that's strategic for us and why we're going to be placing a lot more emphasis on that, both from a product and a go-to-market side. Okay, so how do we intend to expand? What are our levers? And we, the thing about our business is we have many levers to expand our business with existing customers, and we're really just getting started in many ways. The first is pricing and plans. So we're applying a more sophisticated pricing and packaging approach to reflect value. So as an example, in our IT uh, solutions, we've added a lot of features and capability and things like ITAM and ITOM over the course of the last couple of years, and we weren't charging separately for them. We charge one license prices, price. Our competitors tend to charge piecemeal. So for the first time, uh, we implemented a price increase in Q1 of about 5 to 10%, depending on the, the plan that you were on. And our customers understood that, and they accepted that, and they, they see the value. But there's a lot more opportunity for us in pricing and packaging and getting those decisions right. The second is in add-on SKUs, so uh, additional uh, licenses or additional uh, pricing for functionality that is new and innovative, like Freddie Copilot. So uh, Giris has shared we're, we're uh, planning on uh, offering Freddie Copilot as an add-on to your existing licensing plan for $29 per agent. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Uh, another is agent addition. So in the past, organic natural agent addition, the growth of the support team or expansion to multiple support teams in a given uh, cu customer was a really important lever for us, and it continues to be. So our agent count uh, grew 26% annually from 2019. We see that as a, an important driver going forward for sure, uh, but, uh, but there's a lot more things that we can do in addition to that, that, that growth. So bot growth, so thinking about consumption-based monetization models. We, we revamped our, our bot pricing uh, last month, and uh, to effectively raise the price per bot session by 35%. We've also reduced the amount of free bot sessions that our customers can use because our customers have adopted bots, and our pricing strategy before was about driving adoption. Now we're trying to monetize and share in the value that we're creating for our customers. And then we continue to innovate with new products, such as Fresh Service for Business Teams. Uh, that product has done very well. So 20% of new IT customers uh, are buying fresh service for business teams along with, with the IT product. So those are our paths to growth. An example of a, a customer that's grown with us is Icor. So Icor is a $16 billion U.S. business processing firm. They, managed, they, used, they were managing support tickets from 40,000 employees via email. So imagine that, like how hard must that be for them? Uh, they went through a competitive process. They evaluated all the obvious competitors and chose Fresh Service in 2021 uh, for a single ITSM solution. But they, from day one, even though we didn't have 
the business team's product yet, they used fresh servers across IT, HR, and finance because they saw the commonality of the product and basically the, the problems in supporting teams in IT, HR, and finance were, were similar. So this year, they've added more seats. They participated in the Freddie AI program, and they continue to grow with us. Okay, the last avenue for growth for us is AI and automation, both of which amplify our value proposition and enhance our value to customers. I think you saw that in the demo where AI is really infusing everything across our products. So Freddie AI today, even though we've had, we have some functionality that's in GA, we have other functionality in beta, is enabling millions or resolving millions of inquiries every quarter. So in Q2, we had over 200 million interactions. That includes bot sessions, other interactions, assisted by Freddie Self-Serve. We have over 1,000 customers that have been assisted by our Freddie Copilot in beta. And our generative AI was used to, we estimate, increase agent productivity over 20 million times in the quarter. So you go back to some of those demos that we were talking about agents, where their, their job was assisted by AI. That's what we're talking about there. So we already see AI being a massive part of our value proposition to customers. And I hope this point's coming through. AI is absolutely a tailwind for us. All of our customers are going to need to adopt AI. We're super well positioned to help them do that. Customers are going to see three sources of value. One is improved productivity, reduced need for level one support agent counts, ability to redeploy those agents elsewhere. That's going to result in lower OPEX for them. It's going to result in better business outcomes because the experiences that their customers have are better due to AI. And the low, lower OPEX and higher productivity more than offset the incremental cost of software for them. So we estimate that our customers generate about a 10x return on their license uh, costs by deploying uh, products like Freddie AI. We capture value in two ways. We monetize Freddie Copilot as a per seat surcharge and Freddie self-service based on consumption-based pricing. Okay, last point is NEO. So NEO is our platform that underlies all of our products. And it's really a multiplier both for us internally and for our customers. So NEO is a shared platform. Uh, we provide, or NEO provides shared services to each product area. So think, think of things like billing and authentication and security. That's all provided by the NEO platform. That allows the product teams to innovate much more rapidly than they otherwise would be able to do. Uh, NEO also maintains a marketplace of applications that provides interoperability and extensibility of all of our products. 75% uh, of our fresh service customers, as an example, use, a, use one of the apps from the marketplace, uh, including customers like Klarna and Amex and Sotheby's. And we know that customers that use one app, they churn at a much lower rate, they expand at a much higher rate. Uh, we, some of the more popular apps that we integrate with, I think you saw in the demo as well, Slack, but also Microsoft Teams, Google, Google Calendar, Google Apps. Um, and Freddie AI overall is, is the AI layer and provides some of the functionality that you saw today uh, through Neo to power machine learning across all products. So some of the experiences that you saw in the demos across different products were similar. We're, we're relying on one uniform uh, code base, one uniform capability to provide that across products. Okay, so just to summarize where we are, uh, before we go to the break, we're, we're excited about growth prospects across all three product areas. We've got a very fast-growing IT business. We've got a large uh, CS business with a lot of potential. 
we've got a small but really strategic, important, and big opportunity sales and marketing business. We have five drivers of growth, our unique go-to-market. The SMB opportunity remains huge. We've proven that we're having success going up market. Expansion is an area that we're going to be spending more time on, and then AI and our platform. And after the break, you're going to hear from three customers who are going to bring this to life. But first, we've got a 10-minute break, so what does that put us back at it? Like 10.15? About right? About right? Is that right, Jim? Okay, so but why don't we all come back around 10.15? Thank you.
Great. If we could just get everyone seated, I don't think you're going to want to miss this. Uh, the next section is the customer spotlight. And as I said, Patty, our chief product officer, is going to host uh, a panel or an interview here, and then followed by Patty Rathnam, our chief revenue officer. So if you could just get seated. And I will introduce uh, or bring Patty up or Prakash up onto the stage. Thank you, June. Uh, thank you all for coming. So what we thought we would do is, um, you know, um, we talked a lot about our mission and uh, what we tried to do. Uh, one of the most important things that you've seen in the product and what we believe as ethos is to build refreshingly easy-to-use software. So if you look at all the uh, people who use our software, Nobody interacts with their software more than the frontline agent. And you heard Mukesh talk about it. They are always under duress. They need to answer quickly. And most of the time, people are calling them, or nearly all of the time, people are calling them, texting them, slacking them, um, uh, sending them messages, or in a pissed-off state. Right? That's the kind of the equilibrium in which they deal with. So we invest a lot of time in making their experience be very, very productive. We have thousands of agents using it. And the other key thing is they also evangelize our products within the, uh, within the company. So um, what we thought we would do in the spotlight is start with an agent and hear their perspective on how they use the product. What are their real challenges on a daily basis and how do we help them? So I want to keep the whole luggage theme going. Uh, so uh, with, with this, so we're going to start out with Monos. Monos is a luxury uh, luggage uh, in, in the retail space, and uh, they call themselves as the apple of luggage. Uh, I don't know if you guys have taken a look at it. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of time uh, interacting with it because I was preparing for this. Um, sleek uh, luggage, sleek uh, travel accessories that they have. And today joining me from Monos is Jason Cabotting. He is not only a frontline agent, but he also manages a team of agents at Mono. So I'm going to talk to him about his experience. And Jason, please come on in. Yes, you're going to get a mic too. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for having me. All right, Jason is flown in from Vancouver. And uh, so, Jason. You have an interesting name for your support organization. Right? You want to tell us a little bit about that? All right. So our customer support agents, they're called customer happiness specialists. What a cute, like, unique name, right? Even just hearing about it, eye-catching. And so the reason why we call them that, so at Monos, everything we do, we design from product design to our support to our service. We want to do it um, to elevate the customer experience. So, of course, customer happiness, we want to make the customers happy. So that's why we call ourselves customer happiness specialists. All right. That is a kind of a tall order to meet on a daily basis. We call ourselves true friends of customers. So uh, that's good to hear. So can you just tell us a little bit about the kind of questions you get? And you told me a little bit at dinner last night. Uh, can you talk to us about all kinds of questions you get from your customers? Of course. Working in customer service, as you know, happy customers never email a company. And for me specifically, I am the senior care specialist. So for that company, I handle with warranty claims, broken products. 
And of course, we know airlines are notorious for like damaging suitcases. So for me, I already get angry customers. Like my suitcase is damaged. So my job, of course, is to turn that around, remind them of our policy, reassure them that they are taken care of, and then send them a new product. All right, you were telling me yesterday how you have a little thing to kind of cover up the nicks on the suitcase. Is that what it is? What is that? You can give some free advertisement with Monas right now. Yes, of course. Thank you also earlier for the um, free promotion. Yeah, you may have seen our products on the screen with no baggage. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, of course, sometimes customers will get um, maybe the slightest scuffs on a suitcase, which, you know, they're just purely cosmetics. And that's really a struggle for customer agents speaking to customers like, you know, you bought a suitcase meant to be checked in or they're going to buy a white suitcase and complain the first time that it's, like, gray or black. But, you know, the point of a suitcase is to protect your belongings. It won't look perfect forever. And, of course, so, of course, I have to really reassure customers that, like, we'll take care of them when it does break. All right. So um, you deployed Freshworks a couple of years ago, but uh, I want to talk to you briefly about what life was like supporting customers before Freshworks. Of course. So in the early, early days, I just want you to imagine we had our CEO, Victor Tam, our COO, Daniel Shin, just typing away on their computers, getting emails directly to them just to answer customer questions or needs. So just the two of them on their computers typing away before fresh desk. I know a thing or two about customers directly emailing the CEO for help, uh, and I get to hear about it. So that being the first-line support, that should be a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, Jason, um, you looked at a lot of uh, vendors in the space. Um, I think you guys told us, especially you looked at Gladly and a couple of others, um, and you chose uh, Freshworks and our omnichannel product, right? Can you talk a little bit about why you chose us, and, and then we can talk about how you're using it? Yes, of course. So after looking at Gladly and Freshworks, we found that FreshTech was very easy to use. It was out of the box, and it integrated really well with our existing systems. The automated responses for inquiries, like exchanges or returns, it was very easy, and it made sense for our small but growing rapidly company. And, and you were telling me, uh, you should tell uh, uh, our listeners all the channels you support, right? You support quite a few channels for support, and not just email, right? That's correct. So you can contact us with SMS, Apple Message, we have Instagram, we have Facebook Messenger. We also did launch Google Chat recently. So it's very easy to contact us, and our agents will always try to reach with you as best as we can. So all of this flows into one inbox for the agent for them to deal with, right? That's correct. The Fresh Desk, Fresh Desk Omnichannel has been amazing to use for our company. I, I don't know if I told you this. I actually played with it yesterday. Uh, I contacted Mona's customer support through SMS, and they were super helpful. I think I spoke to Maria, uh, and she answered all my questions. I just want to take it for a spin. I know I'm going to be talking to you today, so... Uh, you know, I, I want you to know that. Um, I want to quickly shift gears and uh, talk about AI. Um, yes. I know if we uh, paid attention the last two hours, uh, we have invested a lot in AI, and, uh, and Monos has been uh, one of the beta customers of AI, right? So what I want to first talk about is how are you using AI? And before we – I have a couple other follow-ups for you, but let's just start about – how are you using our uh, beta uh, features on a daily basis? Uh, give us a couple of examples of that, if you could. Of course. So as you saw earlier in our beautiful demos, 
Um, so you see that the AIs have been able to summarize a previous interaction with, an agent, with a customer, which of course saves time for our agent rather than going back and forth. There might be even mistakes sometimes with a new agent receiving the same customer, and of course we don't want that. With the AI, it's been able to summarize, and it's also helped us to really form our brand voice. So messages that an agent might type out may not sound on brand for Monos, but with the AI, it's been able to provide suggestions to keep us more in voice. All right, and um, the question that always gets thrown out is AI and agents don't like each other, uh, right? So, but you have examples to show that not only do they get along just fine, they actually are embracing it, right? So tell me a little bit about what your agents are telling you uh, about, about Freddy AI and how they view these capabilities uh, helping them on a daily basis. Of course. So our agents love Freddy. They enjoy them. They work hand in hand. Just to give you a story, in 2021, I believe, so our company was struggling to keep up with 200 emails uh, with just 15 agents. Today, we've been able to manage 3,000 emails and 600 chats a day. And last week, I, was, I just learned that we managed to hit zero tickets. So we've been using Freddy really as a, a partner, a hand-in-hand -hand tool to, high, to really elevate the customer experience we deliver at Monos. I tell you this, I think Morley is here. He would love to see zero tickets one day at Freshworks. Uh, well, um, thanks again, Jason. I really appreciate you making the time. And uh, we thought you'll hear from him. He, he understands how AI is being used. Uh, he understands the power of bringing all the data uh, to the fingertips of the agents. So I thought we would start with him. So thanks again for making the time. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. So now let me welcome um, Paddy Ratnam, or CRO. He's going to talk to a couple of other customers. Paddy. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, our next customer uh, on the panel uh, is um, Sony Music Entertainment. And uh, Sony Music Entertainment, for those of you who don't know, uh, signs up um, label brands like um, Adele, Beyonce, um, Harry Styles, and Bruce Springsteen, just to name a few. And so these are brands in, in themselves, and so the experience with these brands and how they manage the experience with these brands are, are super important and critical for them. And so uh, all the way from New York City, I have uh, you know, David Harrington, who is the uh, you know, head of the IT business for Sony Music Entertainment. Uh, he has over 15 years of leadership in various business and technical positions. I'd love to invite him to come onto the panel. David, welcome. David, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Uh, um, let me start by asking, you know, you were users of uh, Fresh Desk, and, uh, you know, then you chose Fresh Service for your IT service management. Uh, what was the, you know, how did it happen? Yeah, so Sony likes to stick to what we know um, and what works, and sometimes to a fault. Um, but internally, we had a smaller team using Freshdesk. Um, we received the recommendation for it. Um, that certainly influenced their decision to transfer um, from Salesforce. Um, and then also is the user interface ease of use. Those were two huge points uh, that, that got us to go also add up uh, fresh service. 
So we love to see that, and we're seeing more and more of our customers actually using multiple products in terms of our platform. So, you know, Sony was using Freshdesk, then chose to use Fresh Service. And so if you could take us a little bit about, talk to us about, you know, what was going on in Sony uh, when you were making the decision and what choices were you looking at uh, when you made the decision to move to Fresh Service? Sure, yeah. So when I was brought on to Sony, um, a lot of our processes, policies, and procedures weren't unified, and some did not even exist. Um, we had to transfer from uh, Salesforce Service Cloud. Um, it's not a true IT asset management platform, as most of you know. Um, it lacked proper onboarding experience um, and was also very clunky and had a very lackluster uh, self-service experience um, versus Fresh Service. The moment you're in there, it, it feels like the online shopping experience that you're used to on almost any e-commerce website. So. Um, we started in the U.S., um, have been expanding globally, um, and now have about over 110 um, agents uh, worldwide. That's awesome. That's awesome. Great, great to see that global rollout. Uh, just curious as to how you measure uh, success, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what you're gaining from the platform and how you're measuring your success for your productivity and gains and stuff like that. Sure, yes. Yeah. So um, we don't use your traditional SLAs within my group. Um, the groups that we support are, are made up of your typical business units, but then also record labels, um, which, uh, you know, you've got various genres of music. Um, so you have a very diverse and oftentimes difficult user base. Um, so our success is really measured by the positive feedback that we get or, or lack of feedback. Um, if, if we don't hear anything, then we know that everyone's happy. Um, so, you know, that's how we really you know, generally measure that. Um, and then also, uh, you know, a really important piece for Sony Music is just the execution of lifecycle life management of end-user computing assets. Um, and that's something that Fresh Service does for us very well, day in and day out, um, both domestically and now globally. That's, that's awesome. Uh, we, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, our customers talking about integration and integration with, uh, you know, other systems that are critical for IT uh, you know, what has been your experience as it relates to integration of fresh service with uh, with other aspects of your business? Yeah, so um, we have other internal teams that rely heavily on Salesforce. Um, so for us, that was um, our, our primary concern, and um, you all addressed that very well um, with the Salesforce Connect um, out-of-the-box API. Um, so that's something that, I mean, there, there's got to be thousands of interactions back and forth between fresh service and um, our Salesforce instant uh, daily. Um, so the fact that that was something that was out of the box um, that that performs very well um, is, is was a big win for us. Thank you. Um, what about cost and uh, efficiency? You know, how do you, you know, what kind of ROI and what are you seeing there? Yeah. So again, as previously mentioned, we were historically a, a Salesforce shop. Um, when we were using Salesforce, we had it at almost no cost to us, um, just very low licensing um, for agents, um, but it wasn't working. Um, so we saw the value um, that um, Fresh Service brought, um, the efficiency, productivity, and trans, um, uh, transparency outweigh the costs. Um, so for us, you know, we, we went from almost zero cost to, to the, the, the cost of the implementation and licensing. Um, but again, all of that very heavily um, you know, outweighed you know, all, all the positives. Um, and as we've gotten into the system, um, we've been very impressed um, with the workflow automators um, and the dashboards. Um, the latter of the two, uh, I'm sorry, the former of the two, um, the workflow automator. Um, I'm not a coder. I don't have any coding background. Um, and the fact that I can get in there and I can build 
you know, very simple to very complex um, automators. Uh, I, I do it daily, um, and, and you know, we did it from the start and continue to do it um, as our needs evolve. Um, that's really been a game changer for us. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, yeah. you, as we saw in the demo from location pile to right, a lot of this stuff is relatively easy, and that's why uh, we've been seeing a lot of traction with customers actually moving from other platforms. Right. Well, my final question to you is about uh, AI. You know, AI is in the center and forefront, especially with this generative AI that's going on. You know, how are you at Sony Music approaching, uh, you know, AI, and how, what are you thinking about uh, uh, the kinds of things you want to do with it? Yeah, sure. So for us, I mean, it, it's still a little early, um, but we are always looking to deliver a better experience. Um, and one point in that is we're looking into uh, the deflection capabilities. Um, for example, like, can we insert that into Microsoft Teams so we can re reduce the number of steps um, for the end user base, uh, you know, instead of having to go to the end user portal? Um, is that something that they can uh, get a need of theirs resolved directly within the Microsoft Teams platform or, of course, any other uh, chat platform? Um, so that's big for us. Um, productivity is a, is a core mantra of ours, um, and you know we've seen and, and continue to see um, the value that uh, Freshworks and specifically the Fresh Service tool has brought to us. Um, and as we grow and as we, we look into the different um, AI tools, um, it's definitely something that we believe that Freshworks um, you know can help us you know continuously improve on. Um. Thank you, David. I really, really appreciate uh, your partnership and our partnership with Sony. Uh, you know, you've been fantastic customers for us, and I look forward to continuing this journey with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Um, Thank you, David. Uh, up next, uh, we have a, uh, you know, uh, the next customer of ours is, is Databricks. Um, for those of you who don't know Databricks, uh, you know, they have over 7,000 customers. Uh, they have a very, very robust platform that is used for, you know, data engineering workflows, machine learning models, analytics, uh, and they're absolutely on the forefront of, of AI, if you will. Uh, I need to press this. I'm sorry. Yeah. On the for forefront of AI. Uh, from Databricks, uh, today uh, we have uh, Pradeep Singh, who, who is uh, arguably one of the top minds in IT and infrastructure and operations, um, not only in the Bay Area, possibly in this country or in the world. Uh, he is here to share with us uh, how Databricks has implemented uh, our enterprise service management solution across the enterprise. It's a pleasure to have you here, David. Uh, uh, Pradeep, sorry. <laughs> uh, it just it does feel strange. My name is Pradeep, too. You know, yeah, it's a great name. Thank you. It's a great name. Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's start with, uh, you know, um, in 2021, uh, uh, Databricks was looking for an ITSM platform, and, uh, you know, you were uh, using something historically. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, what you were using and, you know, what were the decision factors uh, that helped you choose Fresh Service? Yeah, sure. So before 2021, Databricks was using uh, in-house tools. Uh, I think Zendesk was also there. Um, some ITSM spoke kind of solutions, um, but there was nothing really in place to have a true ITSM solution. And part of the reason for that was, you know, the investments in IT were also just picking up. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, they wanted a solution which doesn't require a high maintenance as far as the, the solution is concerned. So 
there was a RFP and a whole evaluation exercise done between uh, SolarWinds, ServiceNow, probably some other ones, and um, Freshworks was picked as the solution. Um, my my personal view there is that you know uh, I actually worked at Siebel Systems early in my career, and so Siebel coined the term CRM, and it was a great solution. But as most of you might know now, that the part of the cost of running Siebel, like two to three x is the implementation cost and running cost, right? and that's where there's a heartbreaker once you buy the solution. And it's also true for ServiceNow, like you have to really build a team for that. With fresh service, I don't have a separate team, and my IT support team handles all that. Yeah, so thank you. You know, just like you, we also don't like those words, high implementation costs, then does service now, what happens, right? Um, but uh, just curious as to, you know, when you, you started off with an ITSM solution and you, you know, grew from 50 to 230 seats and you chose to really use us as an enterprise service management solution, what was the decision criteria and how how, how did that happen? Uh, it was actually uh, pretty self-evident. Um, ITSM was a use case we were trying to solve for. For once that was in, in, uh, implemented and we saw the success there, uh, the other groups actually came to us. So we didn't even have to actually sell it to our legal and HR teams. Um, you know, one of the things uh, legal, HR, and, and even finance has is that they have special regulatory and, and privacy and other governance requirements. So having, uh, meeting all those in the same instance without actually having to spin up multiple deployments, uh, it made it very, very easy for us to decide. Right? Plus, the, there's a no cost of really implementing those solutions besides just figuring out what your requirements are. And so I think it was a no-brainer in that way. I mean, our, our legal team is very thrilled about the solution. I mean, they are able to con monitor it like just IT does. Right? So tickets and continuous improvements and all that good stuff. Awesome. I mean, we're seeing a lot of uh, our customers actually use that. And like Dennis said, we deploy business teams, and now we're seeing our, our customers use it across various, you know, whether it's employee onboarding, HR, finance, legal, and that's increasingly becoming uh, a, a playbook that we're seeing in our sales force as well. Um, so just moving on from there, the cost of... From a, from a cost perspective and value and benefits that you're seeing from a productivity standpoint, is there anything that you can share about what you see from fresh service? Yeah, so you know we have all the SLA metrics of the ticket handling and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. But in my view, the, the real value is what the customer thinks is. Right? So looking at our, and that includes some of the work with HR does or legal does, things like employee onboarding and giving them an excellent experience and the workflows behind it. Um, so we do an NPS survey every six months, and our NPS is actually, I was very impressed that it's like 70 plus. And usually a company of our size, 55, 6,000 employees, it's hard to achieve that without a large agent force. And then we, we have a very small uh, team, and we're able to achieve that because of the whole solution being in place. A 70 plus NPS is very, very, very impressive. Um, if you can share a little bit about, you know, what kind of integrations you've done with Fresh Service, uh, you know, just just as a... Uh, from, to make this easy and how does it work for you today? Sure. So we, we are a very active Slack user. Um, so Fresh uh, actually is integrated with Slack. Uh, it's also integrated with Workday. Uh, it's also integrated with some of the other legal tools. Um, you know, we also heavily use Jira for our project work with engineering. So there is deep integrations there. Um, and we are actually using a lot of your automation in the back end to do onboarding or offboarding and provisioning of access and things like that. 
Uh, we are expanding that. It's a constantly uh, expanding area um, as we want to do more and more with the with the product. And this is something I'm, it's really critical for our infrastructure and I'm counting on it. Yeah. And this has been a growth area and an area where we're seeing more and more of our larger customers really ask for these types of scenarios where you can have integration with multiple systems and, and ease of use and seamless way by which you can have low implementation costs and, and time to value. So thank you for that. Um, my final question is on AI. You know, uh, you've been on the forefront of AI. AI is uh, absolutely core to the success of most businesses today. Uh, how is Databricks thinking about AI and uh, the usage of AI? Yeah, no, that, that's. Um, I mean, I, I get that asked very often. Being Databricks, there is um, a lot of emphasis on an AI-driven organization. Specifically for IT, we we are our motto is to be an AI-driven organization. Um, we are always evaluating new models and testing new things. Um, you know, one of the things we've realized, and I think you covered it in your earlier session as well, like it's garbage in, garbage out kind of a thing. So if you don't have the right data, then none of the AI models will actually be able to give you what you're really looking for. Um, we do not use Freddy today. I think the, we use something else. And it's actually reading all the data we have in fresh. So... You know, it's it's like a simple question to ask, like, why don't you just use Freddy then? Because you already have that built in. So we are looking into that. Um, we are always looking into new AI solutions, whether it's collaboration or code development or, um, you know, generative AI and all kinds of stuff. Um, I think in our case, we will have a solution definitely for ITSM and other use cases, but we may also have other AI solutions for other use cases. That's awesome. I mean, it's always great to have a a customer come to an event like this and see our demo and say, hey, I'm wondering why I'm using some of their AI and not using our own Freddy AI. So, so thank you for that. Um, thank you. Thank you, Pradeep. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's a fantastic partnership we have with Databricks, and we look forward to, you know, doing more with you. Uh, and thank you for yeah, coming thank here you. today. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. With that, I'd like to call upon um, Tyler Sloat, our Chief Financial Officer, to take you through the grand finale. Awesome. Thank you, Patty. I got one. I got a thing. I'll just move these so I don't trip myself here. First of all, I want to say thank you for uh, everybody who's dialed in, um, but also everybody who's here in person. I know a lot of you traveled out. Uh, it really means a lot to us for the support on our very first investor day. I, I think hopefully it, it's clear that we're trying to be as transparent as possible. We have always you know, said we're going to approach it that way to try to give you the information that you need as investors to, to evaluate us, but also that you have clear insight into what our priorities are and what we are working on. Um, today, right, you had a chance to first hear from G as he outlined kind of our, our corporate vision, our reason for existence and, and our strategy. Then, you know, Dennis did a deep dive into some of our products uh, and kind of, you know, where we're going with them. And then coupled with uh, some awesome demos by Mikesh and Payal. Those demos are live, folks. I mean, the the time where Payal is kind of saying, hey, we'll let Freddie think, it's because it's actually happening. It's not stuff we're talking about futures. Uh, we have customers who are using these. In fact, you heard from, you know, Monos and Sony and Databricks that, that you know, these are customers who are seeing real value out of our products, uh, which is awesome. And then, you know, Dennis also talked about our growth strategy, right, and the levers for growth. And that's what I'm going to try to dig into right now and provide a little bit more insight. I'm going to try to encompass all of that and demonstrate how that's been reflected in our financial results to date, as well as try to give you a little bit more information 
uh, that we haven't really disclosed in the past on those financial results. And we're going to pivot a little bit and talk about what we expect to do, you know, in the coming years here, right? And it's really what, you know, what our strategy is. But let me summarize really quickly on just our business model in general, right? If you back up, we've got two main products at scale. We've got one we've said is about 300 million, and the other one's around 260. Uh, the, the latter being fresh service growing very, very fast. We also have ourselves a marketing product, right? We're very excited about We know the growth isn't where it needs to be, but we actually think there's a lot of upside there. We are taking those products, selling from the long tail of SMB all the way up to enterprise now across three main go-to-market motions, an inbound motion that's a high-velocity motion uh, where, you know, potential customers can land and do a trial and, and uh, convert mainly servicing our SMB, but also falling over to uh, our field. We have a field motion, which is really NGO representation. That's relatively new for us when I talk, say new over the last couple of years. And it's a muscle we've had to build because we've now earned the right to engage with larger customers. We've been talking about how a lot of our growth is coming from those larger customers now, which is larger deals, better, uh, better kind of characteristics in terms of churn and everything else. But that is what has caused us to say we need to be in the field and build out that NGO representation. The third motion is a partner motion, right, where we use partners to supplement both our field that exists, but also to lever partners in geographies that we do not have physical presence so that they can go in and help sell for us. It's, it's a durable growth model, right, and it, it's one that we have a bunch of levers that we can pull. We are coupling that with, you know, areas where we have operational efficiencies. We are investing in growth absolutely, but we've been able to also deliver really strong gross margins in the, in the low 80s percent, which I think is very, very healthy for a company at our scale, and also be able to flex this muscle a little bit on kind of our efficiencies around sales and marketing uh, and G&A and R&D altogether. What we've seen over the last two years since we've gone public, in fact, I think next week is the anniversary of our, of our IPO two years ago, right, that we've the financial model has been maturing. We've crossed over a $500 million run rate, easily crossed over, and have clear insight into how we get to a billion. We're very, very focused on efficiencies, but specifically rule of 40. We are already kind of a rule of 30 company, call it. We, we've got a 19% growth this year and, you know, essentially 10% free cash flow margin and have a path to rule of 40, right? And then third is really thinking about, okay, how do we get to gap profitability? And that is going to be a focus on stock-based compensation. And what I view is actually more important, which is dilution. One last comment that our key operating metrics, they haven't changed. Uh, when we went public, you know, our net dollar retention, we said, is one of our key operating metrics. And the other being customers paying us greater than 5K in ARR. And we'll, we'll touch on that as well. Let me start with the top line, though, revenue. And we'll just talk about revenue. We'll go down. We put up consistent revenue growth, and I just mentioned that you know, we've already you know, surpassed that $500 million run rate, clearly on our way to a billion, and I'll, I'll talk about how we're going to get there. But what has helped us drive revenue? It's really been on the back of our two main products, right? Customer service is our, our oldest product and still our biggest, right? And you can see that we, that plays all the way into that long tail of SMB all the way up, but you also saw the chart that Dennis put up that our largest customers, the top 20, are all customer service product, uh, cu customers, right? A lot of them have both, but every single one has customers. That's because those support groups actually have a tendency to, to grow. So we can typically land smaller and then have very high expansion rates uh, within our customer service group. But as you've seen, we've also been able to engage with larger customers, and the CAGR has consistently grown there. Second is fresh service. Fresh service plays kind of at that high end of SMB, which makes sense because smaller companies do not need an ITSM solution, right? They're doing it on email, and you saw some – 
heard some stories uh, in the case studies of how we took over manual processes when we were first purchased, right? But we're tending to land larger, and we've now earned the right through innovation and the capabilities of our product to go engage with larger customers, and that's leading to larger deals. And you can see there how the CAGR has actually increased even more. Those two combined have driven a CAGR of 16% over the last two and a half years, uh, or three years, uh, roughly, uh, on overall product growth. That is really how we've been you know, able to deliver on our revenue growth so far. We think about what larger customers are doing for us. On the left is the customers greater than 5K, right? And the reason we want you to focus on that, if you can see, it's 88% of our ARR now. We think the SMB is very, very important. In fact, we think we have a strategic advantage that we can go attack the global SMB, that long tail efficiently in the way we do it. But the real driver of growth for us is really, or the real representation of our ARR is that customers paying us greater than 5K because there's so much noise in that long tail. And that 88%, it really is the majority of our revenue. The thing we have been talking about, though, is our greater than 50K customers on quarterly calls. And then for today, we are actually disclosing our greater than 100K customers. And what you can see is just kind of more evidence of what we've been talking about, that we have earned the right to engage with larger companies, right? And we've been able to actually go in and beat incumbents in some cases and go head to head and beat our competitors to be able to prove that our software can meet the needs of those larger organizations. So how are we doing that? So the one thing to note here is that the customers greater than 5K, we are consistently landing larger than 5K with deals. And when you think about that, it's actually encompassing a lot of the SMB customers. If you really peel back that onion, it means that very small companies are making a really big bet on Freshworks because that's a pretty significant spend for a very small company, right? We oftentimes might be one of their more, you know, their, their higher cost products. We've then proven success with all these companies. And as you can see, the greater than 50K and the greater than 100K, the majority of our customers in those quadrants are ones that we expanded into. We are clearly winning deals. You can see 36%, 22% of that customer base. This is at the end of Q2 were deals that we landed at those rates, right? But the majority we are expanding into. And I think that is a really good strategy for us, right? Have a high velocity sale that's actually a pretty uh, short sales cycle still compared to like a big enterprise software company, but then able to go in, prove value, actually get a customer up and running really quickly, prove value, and then allow them to grow on us. And we're going to continue that strategy while also we think that this land greater is going to increase as well because we've now earned that right and we've started to build out that field muscle. As we've served larger customers and earned that right, as our ARR mixes change, you can see that we now have 59% of our ARR being represented by mid-market and enterprise companies. Okay? And that is a shift. When we went public, I, I said, hey, a couple years ago, 60-40 the other way. We've completely shifted now, right? 60-40 now mid-market to SMB from an ARR representation. That's not a customer number, obviously. It's, it's an ARR representation. That actually does have some benefits for us, right? One of the benefits is that customers in those quadrants tend to be uh, able to commit to contracts that are annual. They pay annually in advance, right? They, they, they provide a, a stickier relationship. Um, also has some billing characteristics that we've been able to take advantage of, and we've been pretty open about that every single quarter as that shift uh, changes. In general, it is just another representation that we've earned the right to deal with, with, to engage with larger customers, and we've had success now winning those deals. 
is also represented in our cohorts. And so I, I like this slide because I do think it is relatively unique that since 2012, every single annual cohort has a net dollar retention greater than 100, right? That means that, you know, over time, even long ago when, you know, the products were not at the maturity that they are today, right, we've been able to consistently provide innovation, prove value, and then grow with our customer base. So clearly customers have churned, right? We, we know that. But the growth in the ones who have stayed have actually outweighed that churn in every single cohort. So let's talk about net dollar retention. That is one of our key metrics. When we went public, we said, hey, think about us as like a kind of 110-plus net dollar retention business, right? And at the time when we went public, actually we had some tailwinds from FX and things like that in net dollar retention. Since we, we, we've gone public, our net dollar retention has gone down, and we've actually been very, very open about that. And we actually said, hey, for Q3, we expected to go to 105, 106. We expected then to stabilize at that point in time. So what, what's happening with net dollar retention? So it has two sides to the same coin, right? One is churn. Well, we've said we've actually done really, really well on churn. We have proven value for customers. We've innovated. We, we, we've been able to actually give them what they need. As a result, our overall churn as a company has come down from the low 20s percent to the mid to high teens, right? So we've actually had some benefit in net dollar retention from the reduction of churn. But at the same time, at the end of our Q1 2022 call, we said, hey, we're starting to see something happen in the market, right? And this is right after the war started. Everybody's worried about Europe. And we said, actually, in SMB and everything else, we're starting to see maybe like the expansion rates are not going to be where everybody thought. This has actually been a theme that has played out for the last year and a half. And we were, we've been very open. One of the biggest drivers for growth for us is expansion. And the biggest driver of expansion historically has been agent addition. Uh, and if you think about that, as companies, as they hire, specifically in fresh service, right, they build up these big support groups. They're hiring. They're ad, adding seats consistently. And that has slowed. We've, we've been very open about that. Um, and at the same time, we've actually had companies that have contracted. So that is almost 10 points of growth that we've seen gone away. We don't think this is going to happen forever, but we actually do not count on it coming back, meaning that in our models and our projections, we do not expect – our customers to immediately start hiring again. That, if it happens, that's fantastic. Instead, we're saying, okay, it's our job to figure out a way to grow with our customer base outside of agent addition. And Dennis already went through a lot of how we're going to be able to do that, right, and a lot of the kind of prescriptive motions that we put in place. But let me walk through them first. Cross-sell is the biggest one. 25% of our customer base uses more than one of our products. But, in fact, that includes a lot of add-on products, and we've said it's been driven historically by Omnichannel. Um, one of the things we're very, very focused on because I think we have the right to is actually to sell into, say, our Fresh Desk customers, Fresh, uh, fresh Service, and vice versa, as well as sales and marketers. So we've already, you've already heard from you know, GN, Dennis in particular, about how we're putting motions in place to make this happen, right? Addition upgrades is another one. We're that 250,000 of our agents are on lower tiers of addition, right, where we know that they are not getting access to kind of the premium feature functionality. And that is something that our, our, our farmers, in one case, our customer success groups can actually go target and go talk to these customers to demonstrate that we can provide them a lot more value by moving them up those addition upgrades. So we think that is an opportunity to do that as well. Pricing. We, we talked about coming into this year that we actually flex a little bit of muscle on our fresh service pricing. That is historically not something we have ever done in terms of increasing price. And I actually don't like to think about it as increasing price on customers. I rather like to think about it as decreasing discounts. So specifically looking at customers who might have signed on years ago 
who've been seeing a ton of value from our products that we've never really increased price, even though we've been providing a new innovation all the time, going back to them, demonstrating to them that this is fair, and then subtly raising things. And when we talk about raising, these are not dramatic increases. We are not going to be the company that's going in and, and putting up 50%, 75% price increases on uh, their customers. By the way, as a CFO, I've had companies do that to me. It's a, it kind of sucks. Uh, is a great reason to look elsewhere, right? We're not doing that. What we're doing is saying, hey, we've demonstrated a lot of value for you. We've never done this in the past, so let's get to something that looks more like a CPI increase. It's a muscle, though, that we haven't really flexed, and we plan to do a little bit of that. New products and add-ons. We've talked a lot about AI and, and the monetization of AI. This is something that I think is going to take some time, right? Uh, you'll hear that. The products are there, but they actually have to prove value to the customer. And then once we prove value to the customer, then I think that we, the monetization will follow from there. And so that's something that, you know, we really haven't even built in much for next year because we don't think it's going to be some dramatic increase right away. I think this will play out over time, and I want to make sure that you as investors understand that, right, that we, we think it's very, very important. We are very dedicated to it. In fact, I think our products, unlike – announcing something that will come out in the future. We announced it, you know, a couple months ago, and you just saw it. It's actually out there already. But we just need customers to start using it. Uh, and then lastly, churn. We're going to continue to uh, make progress on churn. This is a subtle thing. It is like moving a very big ship. Uh, and, you know, if you think about 100 basis points, you know, over time, every couple of quarters, it will subtly improve, but it actually can have a great benefit. That's on the top line, Right. You think about, okay, what else can we do from a business model perspective? It's really thinking about operational efficiencies and what we, partially what we've been able to demonstrate coming into this year, but also what we think we can do going forward. It, if you think about it and step back to even when we went public, efficiency is kind of in the DNA of Freshworks, right? We actually produced cash the year before we went public. Like we were free cash flow positive. Uh, in fact, as somebody asked me earlier about, you know, hey, we have these huge losses. And a lot of it, like the retained retain losses, and which is really just an accounting thing if you actually look at it. Freshworks raised about $300 million in capital. We had $200 million in the bank when we went public, meaning that we burned $100 million. Mohit's uh, shaking his head, right? They're just going, yep. We burned $100 million to build a couple hundred million dollar uh, ARR business, which is incredible, meaning that we've always thought about efficiency, right? And we're going to continue to flex that muscle. We already think we've done a pretty good job this year, but we are going to make this stair step going forward. We've talked about a three-step process. The first step is get to sustainable free cash flow positive. The second step is to get to non-GAAP operating profit. And then the third is to get to GAAP operating profit. Coming into this year, I think we just took down the first two steps, right, where we now are going to be producing cash and producing non-GAAP operating profits and very focused on the third. One of the reasons we can do this, which G highlighted, is our strategic advantage. The, we are a U.S. company, always have been, but we are born and raised in India is what I like to say. And the reason that's a difference is that as opposed to other companies who might have operations in India is that we are not offshoring to India. We actually originate ideas there. We build products there. We you know, operate from India. We attack the global SMB, which allows us to do it efficiently. And this is a strategic advantage, right, where we have the majority of our folks there. It's in our culture, but we think that this is something that allows us to have multiple products at scale for a company of our size and to continue to innovate quickly. 
when you couple what I just went through, which is really kind of our multiple growth levers, right, in terms of three products going, uh, doing it globally, SMB to enterprise, coupled with a high-velocity motion uh, that allows us to be really, really agile and place bets, along with our capability to run the business efficiently, we think we have a pretty uh, unique business model that's going to allow us to, number one, be successful in, you know, kind of different economic environments where that, you know, we can, we can lean in or actually pause in different instances, but also continue to operate and do it efficiently even while things might be on a downturn. And so we think this is unique for us, and it's a, a, a strategic advantage as well. So as I, I'll just pause. In regards to our financial outlook, we are reaffirming the estimates that we put out at the end of our Q2 call, right, nothing has changed for Q3 and for the remainder of, that, of the year. So I just want to put that out there. Let me now pivot to what we expect to do going forward. First of all, rule of 40 is really important to us. We are kind of focused on this. A lot of people in the company, we talk about it at all hands, and, you know, it is something that we think uh, is going to be demonstrable of our capability to both grow and produce cash, which we think is important. We are now at rule 30. We say by 2025, we will be a rule of 40 company. Half of that will come from free cash flow, and half of that will come from revenue growth, which I'll, which I'll talk about in a second. From a free cash flow perspective, between 2023, which we're like a 10% now, and to that uh, get to that 20%, we do think it's going to be kind of linear, right? It's not going to be a big stair step next year and then, you know, kind of remain flat. Well, let's, let's think about it. It'll be a, a gradual journey for us to get there. And I do think after that, we are going to have leverage on both cash and on growth. Um, beyond 2025. Second, when I talk about revenue, we're very confident we can get to a billion dollars in 2026. So rule 40 in 2025, a billion dollars in 2026. Thing is, what are we going to look like when we get there? You can see that our estimates right now on this, right, this is what I would consider a baseline plan. We have to execute to go get there, but it is our baseline plan. Why is that our baseline plan? Number one, a lot of the growth is going to come on the back of our fresh service product. You can see, right, that fresh service, we expect to be 60% of our ARR base by the time we get there. That product is doing incredibly well, growing incredibly well, and proving out that it can compete with the leaders in ITSM and WIN. We expect there to be moderate growth in our customer service uh, um, business. Part of that is because we don't necessarily expect companies to come back and start hiring like crazy. Right? And we don't think it's prudent to build that in. If that happens, that'll be fantastic. But we don't expect that to happen. Third is that on our fresh sales marketer product, right? we've already talked about it. It's not the growth rate we expect. There's a lot of initiatives internally. In fact, we're going to, uh, Dennis mentioned, we're going to be releasing stuff uh, in the fall. But we're not going to build that into our growth rate. Right? We think it's going to be at still 5% of representation. What is going to happen, we think, though, is that ARPAs are going to continue to increase. We have built in a 13% TIGR. That's down from the 16% for the last three years that you just saw, right? But we do think that our TIGR is still going to increase, and we are going to actually get you know, larger and larger lands, and the overall customer base is going to be paying us more on average because we're moving to larger customers, right? We've earned that right, and we're going to continue to lean in and go attack uh, that mid-market and low-enterprise space with the products that we have. This is in 2026. On top of what we've built this plan on, we do think there's multiple levers for growth. 
thing is we have to go actually execute against these levers before we build them into any model and, and actually build in that upside. Dennis already went through most of these levers, but let me just walk through them again. First is what we call PLG 2.0. We actually get a ton of potential customers to land, right, and to come into the top end of the funnel, but the conversion rates are not as, as, as good as we'd like them to be, right? And part of that is around the experience of that funnel. Dennis already mentioned on Fresh Sales and Marketer, like you have complete divergent, you know, customer bases, potential customer bases, so you need to tailor the experience, like the trial experience and everything else for those. And we are focused very much on that across uh, all of our products, but specifically uh, our CS and, and sales products. Second is pricing and packaging. I just talked about it with net dollar retention. We think we have the capability to continue to price in a package and do it in a way that customers will see the value of what we're providing to them and then we get a fair price as well. Third is cro higher cross-sell. Uh, again, 25% of our customer base is using more than one of our products. All that tells me is 75% of our customer base is not, which is an opportunity for us to go engage with them. AI and bot monetization. We've announced the pricing for Freddie Copilot. We've announced that we changed the pricing for bots, right? We now need all this to flow through and actually get, you know, new customers coming on, by, on board, buying, uh, buying bots, getting them built, using them consistently, right? At the same time, getting customers to adapt, uh, adopt the add-on, which isn't being sold yet at $29 or $20 or $29 uh, 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 a user, right? This is going to take some time. It'll play out all through next year and actually will be, you know, kind of an add-on going forward from there. I think we're going to learn a lot there. Sales and marketing, we already talked about that. And then lastly, is just broader macroeconomic stability. This is something that, again, we are not counting on getting back to the expansion rates that we had three years ago. If that happens, that would be fantastic, but I don't think that would be prudent to do that right now. That's our plans on how we're, what we think is going to happen over the next couple of years. I said the third step in our journey of you know, free cash flow, non-GAAP, is GAAP. And one thing we've been talking about is uh, stock-based compensation and dilution. By 2026, we're very confident we'll be able to bring down our stock-based compensation as a percentage of revenue below 20% and keep dilution below 3%, which would put us right kind of in, in, in best practice for, for our size of our company. Now, one thing we've talked about, though, is that we can't do this overnight. And one of the reasons is that, you know, before we went public, we had significant grants right, to, to employees, including, you know, PRSU grants, that we now have to deal with the amortization of that SBC as it falls out. What we try to demonstrate to you with this slide, which I know a lot of you have already downloaded the slides, or you will right as, as we uh, end, is that you can see how this tail falls off, right? Going forward, and actually not even going forward, even now, we are being very uh, prudent about the way we're using equity to compensate our employee base, right? And we do think it's, it's very important to get to that third lever, which is gap profitability. And one of the reasons, uh, to, one of the ways to do that is to uh, have a strong focus on this. We couple this all together. What do we look like in 2026? Well, first, growth is going to be between 20 to 22% at that point in time on a revenue side, right? Obviously, as we go through the journey between now and then, we will be updating you guys on all the initiatives that we just talked about, right? And, and giving you updates on uh, what we think revenue uh, growth is going to look like. We're going to continue to drive operational efficiencies, but we're also going to continue to invest in growth. 
And I want to be very clear that if we see an opportunity to invest in a go-to-market motion because we're going to get a great return for that, we will lean in. So numbers like this could change if we think we could spend more but get much more for it. We've always said we will do that. At that time, right, we're going to have free cash flow margin to 20, 20, 20 to 22% with non-GAAP operating margins up to 20% and also hitting our third uh, pillar of uh, GAAP profitability to break even. Just to summarize, right, a durable revenue model, multiple products, two of them at scale, selling globally from the SMB all the way up to the enterprise, okay? Investments on top of what we think, you know, will drive 20% growth. We have a bunch of levers that we're trying to execute on, right? And we will be putting in programs internally to make that execution possible. And we'll update, update you guys as we go through this journey. Operating efficiencies on the cost side, I think we've already done a pretty good job, but we're going to continue to flex that muscle. And that muscle is going to help us drive to a rule of 40 uh, growth with, with half of that coming from free cash flow. And then, you know, an overall financial model that provides us a lot of agility, I mean, a lot of capabilities to go place bets and actually, you know, do things that other companies of our size I don't think have that opportunity. Overall, really a durable growth model coupled with agility, uh, coupled with efficiencies providing agility. This time, I'd love to invite G back on stage to summarize some things for us. Thanks, Tyler, and I'm back uh, with uh, my favorite slide. So if you didn't uh, believe me the first time around, I hope you have enough uh, information to now have a little bit more conviction. So I wanted to just recap and tell you very clearly that I strongly believe that at Freshworks, we have the path to creating a multi-billion dollar revenue company. You saw the TAM numbers from Dennis, but more importantly, we have product market fit in each one of these three TAMs. So in customer service, you saw the numbers. We have more than 10,000 customers paying us over $5,000 in revenue. In, in IT, we have more than 8,000 customers who are paying that, that amount. And even in sales and marketing, we have over 1,000 customers who are spending that kind of amount. And we have small, both success in SMB as well as mid-market and larger enterprise customers. So these three massive TAMs will help us create, keep going, keep pressures going for a long, long time and create that multi-billion dollar company. Second, we have business momentum in moving up market. You saw Dennis give example after example of how many larger enterprise companies that we have, whether it's $5 billion company or a $16 billion company. So these businesses are coming to us and we are winning. Third, you saw several examples where customers started with one product but expanded into multiple products, both in SMB and in mid-market, and that is a trend that is going to continue. We have the org structures for that. We have our teams in place working with customers and helping them expand and adopt more. Also, I believe you saw all these cool demos. Now, if you put yourself in the shoes of a customer, so you have to take off your investor hat and put on your customer hat and think like a customer service agent or a customer service leader or an IT leader, then I think you would really say, hey, how can I get uh, my hands on this AI right now, like Pradeep actually mentioned on stage, right? So I think that is going to be uh, something that will be a tailwind for us. I'm, I'm super excited about all the work. And by the way, as Prakash mentioned, it's not like a point of time event. 
this is going to be a rolling thunder. Like uh, we have, we'll be continuously doing AI updates, um, like quarter over quarter, and and keep innovating on this. And I won't belabor the point, but uh, we, you've heard it multiple times. All of this is possible uh, thanks to the awesome world-class talent that we have in India. So um, I would like to uh, remind you that I want to build the best SaaS product company to have ever come from India. So that is the mission on which we are on with Freshworks. And uh, now I know what some of you may be thinking. Okay, gee, like if, if all of this is true, why is uh, Tyler guiding to a 20% growth, right? That's the question on your mind. To, to answer that and other questions that you have, I would like to invite uh, Dennis, Tyler, Paddy, and Prakash uh, back on stage for Q&A. So as we're getting set up, what I would ask is, um, you know, people to raise their hands. Um, if we have mic runners here, um, I'll direct to where we're going to go. And if you could just state your name and your firm so that everybody on the webcast could hear, that would be fantastic. Why don't we start in the front here, uh, Scott, you want to go right here? All right, I think this is on. Thanks. Um, so many questions, so little time. Appreciate all the detail here. Scott Berg with uh, Needham & Company. I guess I wanted to dig into Tyler's um, comments around the 26 plan. It probably goes to what Dennis is doing on the go-to-market side is, why is ITSM going to continue to grow so fast and be a, that much of a larger you know, part of your overall revenues in 26? You operate in three really large markets today. I guess intuitively I would have thought the smaller product, which is sales and marketing, because it's only 5% of revenues would grow faster. But you're kind of pointing out your best opportunities, ITSM. What makes that market so special today? Yeah, Dennis, do you, want, do you want to take that one? So, first of all, it, it, as Tyler shared, what we're planning for going forward in that plan is based on what we're seeing today. And I think we outlined a number of levers to drive further growth in that CS business that could change that outcome quite meaningfully. We're seeing a lot of traction in IT. Uh, we're seeing mid-market, the mid-market in particular, our sweet spot being a company of about 5,000 employees where their choices are uh, legacy on-prem that have kind of created a crowd, uh, cloud solution on top of that, but that very much are not innovating, or a, a very much uh, ServiceNow, which is very much oriented for a, a large, large organization, a complex uh, deployment path. So that sweet spot is huge. So we don't see that slowing down at all. And a lot of the effort we've made around go-to-market, we're, we're still just getting going and getting the kind of the sellers in place who can go after that market, getting the marketing aligned with sales. So we see IT continuing to be a very fast uh, growth story for us. We're not building in upside from that CS business or that uh, sales and marketer business into that plan, but we have every intent of driving those numbers way higher than what you see in the, in the plan. Why don't we go right next, Brent here. Uh, thank you, uh, Brent Bracelin, Piper Sandler. Um, I'm going to double-click on the opposite side of that question, which if I think about the growth, you are obviously very excited by uh, fresh service. Clearly get that opportunity. That's a 40% grower plus right now, already a at-scale business. But as I think about the opportunity and the PLG 2.0, it feels like that could have a disproportionate impact on some of those other products 
and I just wanted to better understand what are the upside levers to CS and sales and marketer that could go right that's not baked into that billion-dollar opportunity. Dennis, yep. So, first of all, if I completely agree that the PLG 2.0 and getting that, that inbound business really humming is a huge opportunity for us. We've spent a lot of time focused on making sure that our investments in field and in driving that uh, kind of large account business is, is working. We spent a lot of this year on that. We've recently turned to re revamping that inbound process because it's, our, it's where we came from. It's our superpower, but there's a lot more that we can do there. We don't have a challenge at the top of the funnel. We have thousands of customers coming to us and trying our product. Where we, we need to do work is getting more of those customers to ultimately wind up, or prospects to ultimately, ultimately wind up as customers. And there's a lot we can do to create more nuanced flows in that purchase funnel than we've done before. We've kind of treated all customers or all prospects coming in in a one-size-fits-all way. If you look at the state of the art today, that's not how you, you kind of can drive this business. You have to be much more nuanced, use, uh, use information to create customized flows within the trial phase, have much more nuanced interactions between your salespeople, your humans who are getting involved with customers. And, and my experience at Dropbox, and this was a while ago, that's what we were awesome at. And I think we can bring a lot of that uh, here. So I think it's going to be a huge, and it absolutely disproportionately uh, benefits the CS product and sales and marketing because they are the, the, the products that are focused on that smaller business today. Couple of color. And then just one quick follow-up for Tyler, if I could. Uh, on that path, uh, as we think about to 18 to 20% operating margins, I think the guide is 5% at the high end this year. 14 percentage point lift in margins is pretty meaningful over a two-year period. So as you think about that path from five to call it 19 at the midpoint, do, you, do we get 700 every year? Is it pretty um, linear? Just walk us through that path on op margins. You, you talked about it being linear for free cash flow, but what about op margins? Yeah, it's going to be relatively linear. I think that if, if you look at it, you know, you're going to get economies of scale from G&A, so there's a couple hundred basis points there. R&D, we actually think it's really important to continue to invest in R&D, but we do get efficiencies there. You can see the numbers. A lot of the leverage is going to come from sales and marketing, and that is not because we're like reducing spend, but we are in this situation, that, and we've talked about this, that we've already built out a lot of infrastructure, and so it's now about tweaking it, which is you know a lot of what Patty did coming into the year even with, with Dennis as we focus. Like, we had already built it out. We already had, were having a spend run rate. It's now about driving efficiencies with everything we've built out and tweaking a lot of that motion. So when you think about where we're going to get that leverage, a lot of it revenue growth, but not necessarily growing our expense lines as much as revenue, but also from the sales and marketing. And it is going to be more linear as opposed to stretch steps. Great. I think, why don't we go here to Love, um, if we can get him microphone, try to mix it up. And I'll try to direct traffic up here because we have a lot of folks. Oh, okay. DJ, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks, guys. Uh, DJ Hines from Canaccord. Uh, great session. It was great to see the product in action and, and hear from customers. Uh, Dennis, one for you. So on the ITSM side, it's, it sounds like the breadth of your IT functionality is, is kind of bundled into a single SKU. Is, is that a strategic selling advantage for you? And as you, as you think about monetization opportunities, is there an unbundling opportunity there that could, yeah. that could drive monetization? So, so one of the things that our customers appreciate is the fact that our pricing structure relative to our competition is relatively straightforward. We don't have a lot of adders for things like accessing the mobile app, 
that we what, that we put into the pricing plans. Uh, we don't require customers. We're pretty flexible in terms. Customers can sign up for a monthly uh, deal if they want, or they can do a multi-year deal. Depends on on what their needs are. So we think that's a real advantage for us is is preserving that simplicity. That's also a a uh, a benefit of having that the SMB roots, right? And as a, a small business, they have to make a decision quickly. It can't be complicated. So we'll be very selective where we, we do add-ons, like adding on for, for Freddie Copilot. But we see our model generally, when we think about pricing, when we think about packaging, that simplicity is super important for us. And that's why, as an example, ITOM is, is part of the price or part of the cost of what you buy when you buy our IT solution. It's not separate. ITAM, same thing. And that, that philosophy, I think you'll see continue. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Why don't we go right behind to uh, Love? And then we'll, yep. Awesome. Thank you again for hosting us. Love Soda, Jeffries. Um, I wanted to ask maybe one on Freddie. Uh, I know you laid out the pricing, um, but just any additional insight on insights and how you're thinking about the monetization there. And then, you know, Tyler, how are you thinking about baking this into your growth algorithm going forward? Is it something that would be additional upside or is it already baked? into the 20%. Thank you. So I'll answer the first part of it. So let me first say, see, all of us know this. We are still in the very early days of Gen AI. Things are changing very, very fast, right? Like every week new stuff is coming out. So while we are excited about our strategy in general, and you saw the three pillars of self-service, monetized and on a usage-based pricing model, which is a win-win for customers and Freshworks because they are saving money uh, by not hiring more and more agents. Uh, Copilot, which is a relatively small incremental fee to pay uh, to make agents more productive, $29 a month uh, per agent is not a huge, it's, it's not $300,000, uh, unlike some of our competition. So uh, $29 per agent per month is, is more than, I, I think customers will happily pay that uh, if they are going to get several hours of uh, productivity benefit. And insights, clearly we haven't priced it yet. Uh, like, we'll, be, we'll have the opportunity to actually uh, charge more for insights because it, it is helping leaders take better decisions. So, but while we are excited, while this is still in the hands of customers, they are playing with it, giving us feedback, we are improving rapidly, uh, I would still call out uh, it's very, very early days uh, for anybody in, in Gen AI, and uh, I think our strategy is clear, our monetization plan is clear. Um, how does this all play out uh, over time? Uh, like I, I, I think excitement uh, is the only word I can tell you uh, at this point. So, but Tyler, you want to? From a, from a modeling perspective, no, we haven't really built in like a big stair step uh, increment based off of this, right? And. This will mainly be reflected in expansion rates, if anything, right? Because these are existing customers who will be adding this. And so I already mentioned, we don't expect expansion rates to dramatically increase. Great. I think we had one right behind or right next, Ryan Bresner. Why don't we go to you? Thanks, uh, Ryan Bresner here from Morgan Stanley. I uh, just wanted to kind of follow up on Love's question here. Just you had a good exhibit in your deck just kind of showing the expected customer savings um, from customers that were using the AI bots in, in customer service interactions. Just kind of curious how you level set how maybe the offsetting factors could work here in terms of uh, increased productivity and lower agent labor costs and seat counts versus the upside in ASP. Okay, why don't we have Prakash, Prakash take that one? I think what, what it shows there is 
as agent productivity goes up and bots are deflecting uh, more of the requests that are coming in, the agents are now focused on A, being able to answer higher value questions, and they're getting all the additional assist that they can get to do that. Uh, so what that model shows you is this, which is you probably, just like uh, Jason talked about from Monas, you're probably able to do more customer service uh, with lesser number of agents. However, for that to work out, you will be paying us on bot session fees and also the uh, pretty assist add-on. The, the model it shows you is a fully loaded cost for our customers in terms of agent, which is uh, the fully loaded uh, salary plus the agent fee. If you look at that, and what they're going to pay us in uh, extra for Freddy add-on or for the bot session, I think um, they're going to come out extremely well in that equation. I think that's what that is trying to show you, uh, that, you know, they probably are going to make, uh, um, you probably make pennies on the dollar that they're going to save. So that's, that's what that's trying to show, that it is, AI is a win, win, win. It's a win for our customers, customer, because in, 10 p.m. in the night, you can find out where your uh, order is while you're watching TV. So you're happy. They don't need to staff an agent to tell you the answer at 10 p.m. So they are happy, and they're saving costs. And we are also participating in the upside. So I think that's how you should think about that. Great. Why don't we go right behind Ryan McWilliams? Thanks. Two-part question. Uh, Ryan McWilliams from Barclays. Just to start, um, have you seen early uptake with Freddy Copilot within your customers set? Like, is it each agent gets a Freddy Copilot, or is it like a certain percentage of agents have been using it? Um, each agent, agent gets uh, the Freddy Copilot, uh, and we, we see a lot of usage. I think Dennis uh, pointed out uh, some numbers on it. Um, every agent gets to use it uh, in that, uh, when, where they have enabled it, um, so that's how it works. Excellent. And then just on the customer service segment, that Kager seemed pretty conservative for 2026, um, like mid-single digits. Does the impact from switching to um, you know, more AI within customer service usage impact that at all or factoring into like the, your growth equation there? Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that one. The, uh, as Dennis just mentioned, like what we built into our model is based on what we're seeing today. And, you know, the care for customer service, really, that has been impacted by agent addition, but that's more macro impact as opposed to an influence on technology. Uh, and so going forward, you know, what we expect on expansion is kind of basically what we've been seeing. And so we don't expect a macro recovery, but uh, at the same side, we haven't built an upside from AI necessarily. All right. Why don't we take one from online here? Uh, I think it's uh, Pendulum Board, J.P. Morgan. The $1 billion revenue goal in 2026, is that based on existing products or does it bake in some new products? Is the $1 billion revenue dependent on contribution from AI reaching a certain level by 2026? Also, what are you thinking of macro through this period? This is yep. probably for Tyler. Yep. And I think I've highlighted most, but the, the first question is, is, is relevant. No, we haven't built in any inorganic uh, kind of ads, right, to the model, meaning that we are, are – basically talking about the three products that we have today and what they're going to do, and we show the growth rates of what we think uh, those products. Uh, then lastly, yes, um, from, from you know expansion perspective, again, we have not built in any you know dramatic increase from uh, AI or monetization from AI. Uh, we're kind of basing it based on what we see today, and we don't actually expect the macro to stabilize, uh, or we expect it to kind of stabilize, but it be at kind of the rates that, is, that it's at right now as opposed to recover. Great. Uh, right behind Brian Schwartz. 
Thank you, June, and, and thank all of you here today. Very informative. Brian Schwartz from Oppenheimer. Um, one question for Dennis, and then one, one for the team, or maybe it's for Tyler. For Dennis, um, can you share with us how far along you are in the curve in terms of the Salesforce optimization, the initiatives that you've started here? And then maybe the, the question for Tyler or for the team, what would you have to see in terms of uh, the business to be able to move towards maybe more of a reaccelerating hiring approach away from a disciplined approach that you're giving us today? Thank you. So I, I think maybe I'll start and ask Patty to uh, chip in too. Uh, I think we're still pretty early in seeing the impact, but we are seeing the impact. You saw all the stats about large deals. You saw a number of the examples of large deals that we won over the course of this year. That really has been the result of Patty and his team really focusing on the art of closing those larger, more complex deals, bringing in the right kind of uh, leaders on his team uh, that have had that experience and that can sell into those kind of complex situations, and then bringing reps along on that journey. But it's, you know how it works in a, in a Salesforce. It takes time for the Army to completely turn in, in that direction, and, and we, we've been at this point about nine months in. So I think there's still a lot of upside as that kind of flows through. We have to get better at multi-product sale. We have a specialist team that's focused on uh, customer service and uh, sales and marketer. We need for, for that team to kind of ramp up and, and help drive that growth rate up. I consider this the product-led growth initiative a huge opportunity for us. I think you'll hear about that as much as we've talked about large customers going forward because that inbound business for us is, 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 is super profitable, it's super efficient, and it can scale really well. And even without, it's not like we have to fill the top of the funnel a lot with a lot more, let's say, marketing dollars. It's that we need to do a better job of bringing prospects along in that journey. And that's a big opportunity. We, we, we've talked a little bit about partners. I think we've got a couple partners here. Partners is, a, is another area where we have a new global leader for our, our partner uh, team. He's been uh, hustling to get partners to kind of bring us into bigger deals, and we're bringing partners into bigger deals. So, so I think there's a lot of levers that we've you know, talked about today that are super early in terms of executing against. The thing that attracted me to, the, to, to, to Freshworks was we have the products. I mean, we've had, our products have scaled to large organizations well before I got here, uh, and we need to build all the other aspects of a great company around those products to scale. And that's, that's kind of where we are. So I would say pretty early in the journey. Anything? The second part of your question, Brian, was what, what do we need to see so that we will kind of lean in and, you know, kind of grow across the board? I think the, uh, the misnomer is that we're actually still hiring pretty rapidly. In fact, we have hundreds of open headcount right now. So if anybody knows great candidates, please have them apply. <laughs> uh, and so it's not like we've had to do anything in kind of flexing this muscle around operational efficiency that's been kind of not natural in terms of, you know, significant reductions in force or anything like that. That hasn't happened. We were actually hiring so rapidly that we just started slowing it down. Um, and, you know, part of the goal is to still hire incredible talent and bring people in, at, you know, the right people at the right places. And we do have a lot of open headcount right now. Now, that said, on the go-to-market side, we are very open that if we feel that if we see a great return on those dollars, we will lean in and we will spend more to get ahead of that curve if we think that we could grow faster uh, by deploying more dollars, and we will do that. Great. Why don't we go to Rob? 
Great. Thanks, June. Thanks, everyone. Rob Oliver from Baird. Uh, Dennis, my question is for you. Uh, in a couple of, when you plotted out sort of the future opportunities, uh, you talked about vertical as well as um, federal or, you, or government generally. So I wanted to ask about both those. By vertical, do you mean verticalization of the product in the way maybe, say, Salesforce has done, which gave an ASP lift? Can you help us understand, like, how you're thinking about that going forward? And then, you know, with government, where are you today? What does it look like? What does success look like at government? Obviously, I mean, digital transformation at Fed seems to be the one thing that both parties agree on right now, and there's dollars flowing. So we'd love to hear how you conceive of that. Thanks. Yeah, so on the first part of the question, verticalization, we're, we already have traction in a number of industries uh, that we think we can do even better at if we have the right kind of integrations with third-party solutions and really investing in those integrations. So an example is travel. So uh, in Europe in particular, we've done very well with uh, large-scale travel agents that have, you know, they typically have a large number of agents, but there's also a lot of software that they have are, that are specialized to that industry that if we had native integrations, you know, we could move even faster. So that's an example. We're not, we're not thinking in the first instance we're going to create a whole product for the travel industry, but we are going to be able to create a set of solutions, a set of integrations with the, the uh, software that's already in place in all of those customers. You know, another example, in the U.S., we've done amazingly well in industrial. Uh, and, and there are a set, if you are a manufacturer, there's another set of, uh, of software that you have that we could do a better job of providing out-of-the-box integrations into. And I think, you know, we didn't talk about it as much, but uh, ISVs and just generally upping our game in terms of integrations is a big opportunity for us uh, there. Uh, so that's with verticals. In terms of government, we, we have a lot of traction right now in state and local. Uh, if you think about, like, a state and local government, like I think one was the state of Hawaii, uh, they, they are like a mid-sized business, and they, ha they have constituents or customers that are pinging them all the time for, uh, for answers to questions. They, they have employees to support. They're under pressure from, uh, for, in terms of managing their, their operating expenses, and they want simplicity, fast time to value, all the things we talk about. So they are a great uh, area for us. Uh, school districts we've done quite well in. I think one of the largest school districts in the country, Fairfax, is a, is a customer. A number of others are, are customers. So... Um, so I think I think that when we, we we think government, we're not thinking, you know, the the um, uh, the CIA. We're thinking in, initially just expanding into uh, unregulated portions of government that where our product has really good product market fit and scaling from there. Uh, potentially creating a specialist team that is just going after that state and local and education opportunity as well. Great. Why don't we take another one from online here? Uh, follow up from Pendulum. Um, and maybe this is for you, Patty. Uh, also, have you noticed any trend where it's easier to expand into one if you're already in another in terms of a product? As if you're an ITSM, is it easier to get into fresh desk uh, or the other way around? If you could go through any uh, stories on that. In general, it's hard to expand in today's macroeconomic conditions, right? And because it's, you know, how it is. People aren't adding employees. But from a cross-sell perspective, we see that you know, going from IT to CX is certainly an area where we feel like the CIO is, 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 a, is a more powerful, more influential buyer, and their ability to reach out to the customer service space and give us access to that is something that we're, we find is, is an easier path. And I think that's one motion that we feel is, is going to show. The big change we made was really around bringing our account management and, and customer success teams together.
And that essentially brought a, a focus on the customer at the center, and that's basically giving us a lot of return in terms of us being able to go to a customer with a holistic view and really look at that customer from how are we serving them across the enterprise, uh, and that's really helping us as well. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take another one here from the webcast. Brett Knobloch at Cantor. Looking at the, and this one may be for you, Dennis, uh, looking at the uh, sales and marketing suite, is there any one or two things you can point to as to why the product has not seen as much success to your other product suites? Is it a more challenging market to break into? I would say it's just focus, right? It's just getting – we – Freshworks has been blessed with, with two amazing products that have had uh, just a very fast adoption rate, and sales and marketer to some degree was a little bit off on the side. Uh, and, but we've always realized in, you know, that, it's, that it's strategic for us in the long run. Because if we can create a unified platform that you can run your uh, every interaction with your end customer on, the, uh, from marketing to that customer to selling the, the actual sales process to the service experience, you know, that is what, what customers are looking for. That is what customers are asking for. That's a huge opportunity. So I think it's more about just focusing and getting the right product focus, getting in the right sales motion, getting, the right, uh, getting this uh, funnel operating in the right way in PLG. And, uh, but there's no reason. You see the customer adoption. We have, we have product market fit. We have large customers. Two of our top 20 customers are using the product today. So it scales. Um, and to me, it's like a hidden gem that we have that we now just need to go off and grow. Okay. I think I saw, did Adam, how, how about Adam here in the front row? Hey, thank you all for hosting. Uh, Adam Berger from Bank of America. Um, so NRR has compressed from, you know, fewer seat additions, obviously. Um, but let's say, like, we fast-forwarded a year or two from now, and the macro kind of recovers. Um, is there an expectation that seat additions could come back? Or by then, you know, maybe it will never reach the point it, was one, it once was because, you know, AI offers so much of that functionality and, you know, more and more people are incrementally going to kind of opt for that route instead. Yeah, I think it'll it'll play out right in terms of if there's an offset to seed addition by you know driven by technology uh, and efficiencies that that technology brings. Uh, in the numbers on expansion, if that happens, the way we want to price and package is that we're agnostic, right? Whether you're adding a seat or you're adding a kind of an add-on, and we're monetizing through bots. Um, and so, again, we haven't built in the expectation that agent edition expansion is going to go back to what it was three years ago, and for a while it was very, very consistent for us. Uh, at the same time, we haven't built in the expectation that AI monetization is going to add a big star step to uh, expansion either. Uh, and so I think we're going to learn a lot, uh, learn a lot in terms of adoption, but also learn a lot in pricing and packaging, and we will iterate as we go through it. Cool. Thank you. Okay. I think I missed Nick here in the back. Why don't we get Nick? Back there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, Nick Altman from Scotiabank here. Um, earlier, you had laid out a slide of sort of the, the net new ACV between um, the inbound motion, the outbound motion, and the partner motion. It sounds like there's a lot of focus on the, the PLG 2.0, but I think earlier, you guys had alluded to the, the outbound motion was actually growing very quickly as, as well as the partner motion. So with the $1 billion revenue target in mind, how should that mix sort of change to get to that target? And then 
just as a follow-up, like what are sort of the initiatives and, and the things you need to do to sort of to, to get there? Yeah, the, in terms of inbound and outbound, so to be clear, inbound actually, you know, feeds the SMB, but it also does fall over into kind of the field, and which is really that mid-market enterprise motion. Uh, we expect that mid-market enterprise to continue to grow and actually be the driver of growth over the next couple of years. And you know, that is probably going to be driven more by outbound than it is on anything else. Uh, and so that mix will change, right? But again, that inbound is very important to us, and that is part of that PLG 2.0. Yeah, so I just add, add a couple things the, uh, to the second part of your question. What are the, the kind of initiatives that we need to drive? There's a number. So I talked a little bit about PLG. That's a combination of marketing and product and, and creating a, a growth team that has that mindset of constantly experimenting and seeing what the experiments tell you and innovating and changing that, that uh, flow, that, that prospect flow. Uh, we haven't talked as much about partner, but partner is a big opportunity for us. And if we think about many of our customers who come to us, they have a trusted solution provider that is already very familiar with their IT space, knows what their needs are, may have provisioned them on a solution that is no longer appropriate for them, may have made a decision to buy a competitor years ago when we didn't have a product or a set of products that we have today. So that partner is increasingly influential in the sale. They can help us, they can open doors and they can help us close business. And then once the sale is complete, you know, that partner can help really get the customer to value as, as fast as possible. So there's a lot of effort internally around partners in addition to what you've heard about field and in addition to the PLG 2.0, uh, which is another lever that, that I think we'll, we'll talk more and more about as we continue to scale. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in, in not just the, out, the, the outbound business, which we have talked a lot about in the last year, but on that inbound business and on that partner business as well. Great. Uh, why don't I take one from the webcast here? Um, Taylor McGinnis from UBS. She asks, using, and this is probably for you, Tyler, using the ARR mixes provided in the DAC, the, the 2026 revenue outlook seems to imply high single digits CAGR from low to mid teens growth today and then to low 30s CAGR for IT uh, in the low 40s today. Can you provide more color on what your assumptions are for both and the level of conservatism in the model? Yeah, I'll answer the last. I, we, we've highlighted, you know, that we think what are upsides to the model, but to be clear, we have to execute and to just get to what we've put out there, right? And we have to continue to execute. Um, you're right. We do think that, you know, the growth rates will moderate somewhat as, as products get bigger. I think it's just natural that, that growth moderates somewhat. You know, the way we look at it is, you know, you've got a combination of, new business expansion and churn. And we've taken what we see today without, you know, any kind of abnormal expectations going forward and, and modeled that out. And um, and that is how we arrived at, at, those, at those numbers. So it's not like it, it's rocket science. It's not like we've done anything uh, that is, is kind of pixie dust. Can, can I just, just comment on that? So sure. uh, we've never put a number like that out, right? So we want to put a number out that we have a, a good degree of confidence in getting to. That doesn't mean that that's success. That means that's where we're going to go for sure. And you heard about all of the upside levers that we have that are not baked into that, that, uh, that 
that billion dollar uh, target. But we, we thought it was important in the first time that we've done this to give you some sense of our confidence in getting there and our confidence in the upside from that billion dollar figure in a couple of years. Great. Uh, what, we have one additional one here, and maybe this one's for you, Pakash, from Pat Wallravens at GMP Securities. Can you tell us a little bit more about the native integration with Workday? What does it take to, to create those types of integrations? Do you have it with Oracle or NetSuite or SAP? What are the benefits of native integrations? I think um, the reason for doing the native integration is so that we do it and give it to the customer so the customer doesn't have to, uh, 10 customers doesn't have, don't have to go do that. Uh, the benefit is what Pyle just showed, for example. Um, if you look at it, Workday uh, or um, uh, some other system like Oracle and others, they end up being the system of truth. Uh, for employee onboarding and offboarding and all of the payroll information and everything else. So if you want to drive all the onboarding process through fresh service, which it does, uh, uh, all of it, you need to be able to have those native integration. You, you need to be able to have it for some of the other daily requests that you need uh, for that. So I think Dennis briefly talked about it. Workday is just one example of that. We are focused on making sure that we have first-class integrations for the entire ecosystem that we need to play in. That includes verticals, like when you talked about travel, we're going to do with, uh, you know, the travel folks like Amadeus and Sabre and so on and so forth. And we did, when we talked about e-commerce, we talked about Shopify, WooCommerce, and other stuff. So we want to do all of those things and make it be available as first class from us, backed by us, so that the customers feel confident that they can just turn it on and they start getting value. It's all about realizing value as fast as you can. So this is one piece of that. Okay, great. I think we had a follow-up here in the front row with Scott. And then we'll go to you, DJ. DJ. Uh, thanks, Scott Bergen Needham. Um, first comments and then a question. On the comment side, Tyler, it looks like you're the only one on stage that did not get the blue coat memo. <laughs> point that out. <laughs> on the... Uh, uh, the more important question component, uh, this is a question for G. Your um, initial remarks, you talked about customer data platform. Customer data platforms are kind of the, I guess, the technology or issue most marketers and, and salespeople seem to have uh, issues with in their technology stacks today, just trying to, you know, normalize that data and be able to extract, you know, the right level of usefulness out of it. Now, I didn't see a CDP on your product roadmap, and I'm not expecting you to develop one. But how do you think about the fresh um, suite of products in terms of helping your customers alleviate those issues with customer data? Yeah, first of all, uh, thank you for, you're the first person to ask me a question, Scott, so thanks. <laughs> I, I was feeling a Which, little bit... I think uh, you're the CEO, uh, right? Uh, probably I left out here, here. So, <laughs> so, so uh, let's uh, talk about customer data platform uh, for a minute. What, what does it enable for a large business? When you have your customer data siloed in different systems, the first aspect of a customer data platform is to help a business uniquely identify every customer that you have. Now, you need to know that, okay, this is the same Tyler that responded to a marketing campaign and then came to my website and then made a purchase and then talked to a salesperson or talked to a salesperson and then made a purchase and then talked to support. So how do you tie all these together uh, with a unique identifier? So that's the first job of uh, a customer data platform. The second job of customer data platform is allowing segmentation based on criteria. So if I want to see people like Tyler who came to our website in the last 30 days from North America, maybe with the title of CFO, um, and, and who have bought a, a gray coat, right? 
So, so if I want to sell them a tie, so, so I need to be able to segment. So while we did not, we don't offer a customer data platform for sale, what we have internally in our unified customer model is actually a customer data platform, which helps our customers who are using multiple of our products to be able to uniquely identify each customer so that the data can be stitched by us automatically. And you saw the segmentation in uh, Payal's demo when you were trying to create a campaign. Uh, it was like asking you which customer segments do you want, and, and Payal switched out conversationally saying, hey, bring me recent customers who have uh, bought this. So there was a segment created. So the customer data platform functionality of identifying segmenting customers predominantly for marketing use cases in B2C companies. That's the primary use case for customer data platforms. So that is being offered to customers without because SMB customers don't want to buy a customer data platform and hire Accenture to stitch everything together for 18 months or 24 months. So, so we are offering that benefit out of the box. So, so that is the, uh, that's how the value comes to a Freshwork customer using more than one product. I think we had that DJ, why don't we go here and then we'll come to you, Brent. We'll, we'll double mic it. All right, G, you asked. We'll, we'll keep you going while you're hot. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about some of the product initiatives you have in mind on the sales and marketing side that could help kind of close the, the, the gap with market growth for that product. Yeah. So, so uh, first of all, let me uh, add on to what Dennis said. Uh, like, see, when, when you are a public company and we were in the performance zone, we are focused on IT, we are focused on CS, these are the two largest businesses. So uh, sales and marketer was more of a smaller business, uh, innovating and, and uh, in incubation mode, as they call it. Uh, so one of the most important things is we never really opened it up to our field sales teams, right? So like that product is still uh, predominantly fed through inbound motion only, while we actually have built a lot of uh, uh, powerful capability. Freshworks, for example, runs on fresh sales and fresh marketer. So our, our CRM today internally uh, for like all the thousands of sellers that we have, we run on fresh sales. So we have built a product that is actually suitable for uh, mid-market, can be sold uh, to mid-market customers, but we never took it out through uh, our field sales team. So we, we wanted to, and again, that's how we've always done things. Like we want to kind of win through the inbound motion, make sure that the product is uh, perfected well, the roadmaps, are not hijacked by the larger customers, so we have all the capability that we need. And you have to understand, CRM is a really large uh, uh, market where there's a lot of catch-up functionality to do. So, and, and some of the initiatives that we are doing are making the product more uh, suitable for any inbound customer who's coming in. And you also, see, there are more nuances to this. Somebody who's coming to implement a CRM, right? They could be like a power user. They could be like a, a small business owner who's never touched a CRM in their life. So how do you really make, uh, it's unlike an IT buyer, so you have to really make the product simple enough for the online buyer to be able to do, themselves, do it themselves without a lot of consultants in the SMB space. So I think, uh, but also we have to really bring modern CRM. So all the AI, so, so some of the new things that we are working on is how do you make it suitable for a high velocity sales team in inbound motion? How do you enable like a, a seller to be able to get all the answers that they need while they are talking to a customer using Freddy Copilot, uh, how do we actually, uh, also one of the other things that we want to do is, like we offer unified value, right? You saw in ITSM. So, so uh, we have a CPQ, 
module, we have a forecasting module. So how do we actually make sure that customers can unlock more when they want it? Uh, so so the, you will see investments across all of these. Why don't we take the final question here with Brent and uh, make this the last one. Uh, thank you, and uh, thanks for the transparency. A lot of information uh, this afternoon. Two years ago, the biggest pushback, particularly on that fresh service kind of growth engine, was service now. How do you compete right against the service now? It feels like you're now at 1% market share of a $20 billion market. You're growing 40%. Industry's growing 12 so you're clearly gaining share. But we still have skeptics out there. We still get questions from investors. Now the debate is not necessarily on service now. It, it feels like the new debates around Atlassian and uh, Jira service management. And so now you have a low-cost uh, competitor uh, in this space. How often do you see Jira service management in, in that marketplace? And and why do you win there as you think about the next couple of years and, and making the skeptics wrong again? Thanks. Yeah, I, I can take that. Uh, so see, we see Jira service management mostly in smaller deployments. Uh, it could be smaller teams uh, or smaller companies. Yes, they are uh, more aggressively priced. In fact, it's the only category where somebody is more aggressively priced than Freshworks. But the reason why we win is because we have a unified product that gives a single product experience across ITSM, ITAM, ITOM, and enterprise service management. So if you follow what Atlassian did, uh, is they acquired four companies. Mindwell for CMDB, uh, a, a separate company for virtual agent, a separate company, uh, again, I'm, I'm missing out on the name, but four different companies. And they're trying to create a single product experience. And that is clearly, and also they have a DevOps focus. So the way they enter into a customer usually is around through DevOps. So we are stronger on the ITSM, ITA, IL play. So that's uh, the reason why we win. What about field sales? Is that a differentiator as you think about more of a product-led growth company like Alassian or not? Dennis, do you want to take that one? Or Patty? Yeah, I think uh, it is for us. Uh, the muscle is new. Uh, the fact that we're going after larger customers, winning in those, getting into a lot of pursuits, winning against ServiceNow, Devon P. Sherwell, and you know, those are the types of competitors we're seeing. The deal sizes are bigger. And that momentum is what we want to ride on from here on, I think. And so that field sales is definitely a strategic advantage for us right now relative to to uh, Jira Jira. Uh, however, we, we're still scratching the surface. We have a long ways to go. So, so if you are a mid-market or a larger enterprise customer, we are the most credible alternative to service now. So, so, so we can run a campaign called Save a Million. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, uh, that closes our session. Thank you so much for joining us in person. Thank you. All right. And then... For online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those in person, we have lunch, so please join us. Stick around. Thank you.